Hello and welcome to episode 13. Oh, unlucky 13. And I feel like it actually fits really well. Welcome to episode 13 of Movies in a Podshell, the podcast which takes one great film and couples it with a classic movie from another era. We've kind of done another era this week. This week's pick, Scream. As per usual, I'm joined with my co-host, Say. Hello, Johnny. What's your favourite scary movie? Hi, Johnny. Hey, Jamie. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do... <laughs> that was um, a good impression, actually. I was impressed. My little Roger Jackson impression. Um, Very good. For those who don't know, uh, believe it or not, it wasn't the the two the two guys in screen that do that voice. It's actually um, a man called Roger Jackson who does the phone voice. So there's your first piece of little trivia before you even get into the podcast. I was going to say, you busted that out very quickly. Oh, sorry. I'm, yeah, there's, there's no waiting around this week. It's my edit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't mean we're going to scrimp on quality, does it? No, not at all. So how you been, Johnny? You're good? Good. Quite busy, as, as you have been as well. So um, a little insight for you guys. I'm filming quite a lot next week and we're both quite busy with work. So we're actually recording this pod only a week after the last one. So I'm going to say already I've not watched a great deal between apart from the films for the pod. There are a few shows I've seen which we can talk about in a while. But um, yeah, how about you? What you what have you been watching actually? Um, well, so well, I finally finished The Flight Attendant. And what did you think? Very good. I, I've, I'm, I was very much happy with the ending of it. Um, and do you know what? I was actually really impressed with Kaylee Cuoco and her acting yeah. because all I've seen her in is Big Bang Theory, really. And so to see her sort of change and play um, essentially a drunk, um, really, really good. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing her in other things. There's some, without going into spoilers for that program, even though we have both finished it, um, there's some quite heartbreaking scenes in that, in that show. Oh, there in, is, yeah. In terms of her coming up, uh, sorry, uh, dealing with her past and all and these kind of things. And as you said, far more range than I've ever seen her do before. But Misty, as you said, I've only seen her in Big Bang Theory. But yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. I love the yeah. style of that show. The soundtrack as well is so Bernard Herrmann, Hitchcock style, all of it. I just, I love that. Absolutely. No, I, I fully agree. Um, I then uh, started Invincible, uh, the animated, um, well, it's, it's actually blasphemy for me like it's an animated superhero show um but it's an adult superhero show on amazon prime i, I had actually read the graphic novel so i've read a had couple you? of a couple of the graphic novels yeah yeah it's, it's robert kirkman i think the same the same writer that did uh, the walking dead so really good i've got to say you've watched it as well haven't you? you've so watched I've the first watched, episode yeah i've watched the first episode which uh maybe i won't go into plot spoilers but i just say it kind of took me on a ride for 90 percent of it thinking it was one thing and then it took quite a hard left turn, and I quite enjoyed. It's, yeah, I quite yeah, enjoyed I'll, the fact it it did that. It seemed to me very traditional. What do they call it? Like Silver Age comics, where it's all very good old Superman. It's all very, oh, very yeah, wholesome, yeah, yeah. and you know what you know what I'm trying to say. And it's like yeah, yeah. The coming of age. It seemed like a coming of age story, very similar to when Spider Man gets his powers and all that kind of thing. And then, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It, and it, it it literally punches you in the face right at the end of the first episode. But it is only the first episode, so. That's got eight episodes, forty-five minutes ish. Um, I've got to say, it doesn't it doesn't let up. And um, I've watched the first three episodes now, and it's it's brilliant all the way through so far. So, but the but the comics brilliant as well. So I've read the comic comic a few years ago. I can't remember much of it. And um, there's quite a few graphic novels out though. So um, I've only read some of them. So then, um, on my day, I had a day off in the week because I'd worked a weekend day. I watched um, the Pit and the Pendulum 
which is uh, Roger Corman, um, directed by Roger Corman. It's um, a, a Edgar Allan Poe story. You might know him from lots of horror around the sort of 60s, 70s. He did The Raven, The Haunted Palace, um, Mask of the Red Death, that kind of thing. Um, but it's it, they're very yeah. much, they're all PG, like 12A kind of um, horror. You know, you know the kind of horror I mean, don't you? I think when Alien was in production originally and it was called Star Beast, it almost was a Roger Corman movie. I'm pretty sure. Right. I think okay. it was, I think it's one of those. And yeah. yeah. I mean, Vincent Price pretty much stars in every single one of them. They it's usually something set in like a haunted house. I feel like they've used that. It's like, you know, the old Westerns where they use the same Western town and just redress it. Yeah, pretty much. They, I feel like they must use a very similar house, like haunted mansion, and they just redress it every time. Do you mean the Western set, which was reused for Book of Eli years later? <laughs> I absolutely Come feel on. like that. That's, that's, that's a little that... nod back to our last episode, episode 12. That was very much a set which had been left on the back lot for about 30 years, and they thought, you know what? We could crack that back out, you know, and use it for a dystopian future. Yeah, 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 okay. Okay, that sounds good. Absolutely. Um, and so then I, last night... Because obviously we've, we've only it's only been a week since we last recorded. So um, last night I, having watched Scream and having been pretty smitten with Scream, I watched Scream. Then I watched the director's commentary of Scream as well. So I watched it twice with the director's commentary because it was with uh, Wes Craven and the writer. Can't remember his name off the top of my head, but um, one of the best commentaries I've seen actually. To be honest, I learned so much. I was almost like right. Scream is the best slasher ever made. Now, I hadn't, it's been a while since I'd watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I was like, right, I want to go and rewatch that just to really cement this and double check that I'm right. When I say I'm right, my opinion, it's my opinion. Um, so classic. Uh, classic. So Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974, directed by Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper. Um, so have you ever seen this, John? I haven't. And the only, the only knowledge I have of it is... Ridley Scott quoted it as the reference point for Alien in terms of the gritty real world style and what he wanted. So in the yeah. way it was shot and it was quite, is it quite handheld as well, I believe? Is that right? So. Right. So so it's crazy because what I would say is that Scream is, you're very much aware that Scream is a film and it's it's Hollywood, isn't it? Like it's yeah. relatively not, it's quite, quite big budget, really good production. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, low budget um 70s gnarly i would say it's probably the most pure horror film you'll ever see um in terms of the way it's shot like you just said like a lot of handheld it's it's shot like a documentary and that's why the whole b movie aspect and the reason the, the fact that they didn't have much money that all adds to the reason why it's so good and so scary because it's like this could happen yeah it's a man wearing the skin of like other the people that he's murdered and it was based on a again like a lot of things back then based on a real killer at the time i can't remember his name but psycho was based off the same guy right you know okay. no well, I, 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 I don't, don't actually yeah was... so it's 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 really good the the it's pure horror i was gonna say though sometimes people think of budget and you you talk about budget a lot because of one of your favorite films but what I was going to say was upgrade for those who haven't listened to enough podcasts and hear Jamie talk about it. But what I was going to say was sometimes the limitations of a budget can actually push the creativity in different ways. So, for example, upgrade is a fantastic example of what you can do with what was the budget, Jamie? Three million. <laughs> but genuinely, three million playing within 
the confines and like doing something really creative. The, uh, take something like Blair Witch. Blair Witch cost next to nothing to make. But think about how creative it was just with a camcorder and setting up a very clever marketing campaign. So it can be done. Yep. So, well, yeah. And so Texas Chainsaw, is, uh, they, say, they say at the beginning, it's based off a true story. It's obviously not really like it's... Um, and Vicky said to me, can they say that? I'm like, they can say what they want. They can say based off a true story. How vague does that sound? It sounds really, really vague. They could say... Oh, oh, this part of the film was based off a true story. But at the start of something like Paranormal Activity, it says stuff like that, and it's allowed to be false because you're watching a film. So it doesn't have to be correct. It would just probably, there probably is a legal disclaimer at the end of the credits telling you it's not actually real, more than likely. But aside from that, yeah, they can basically say what they want. Yeah, and and so, yeah, I'd recommend you watch Texas Chainsaw. Like, it it is brutal. Like, when you say Ridley Scott, really, that really does um, resonate only because... It's one of those where, like, you know, the old school horror films where they they take a while to build up. So, like, Alien takes, like, you don't see much for the first, what, 40 minutes? 40 minutes to an hour, really. It's quite a slow burn. And then when it does kick in, it's actually relatively quick paced. I mean, the problem is with that is Aliens came afterwards, which was very quick paced. So it's hard to say it's quick. But, yeah, it was. Well, it's like, I always say that, like, Alien and Aliens are the same as Terminator and Terminator 2. The first one is a horror film. The second one is an action film, like kind of. That's... Yeah, but, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that. I mean, yeah, I, I, we're just talking of horror films. I mean, Terminator is another example of a quite a, a low budget picture that did well, and Absolute, that was very oh God, creative. Yeah. And a lot of that was in the the writing. It was just clever writing. We talked before about that film had a really good way of dumping exposition. So normally, if you have a film that's really bad and they dump exposition, it's a scene between two people catching up basically filling you in on the plot because it can't be bothered to show us through actions whilst what james cameron did was he said i'll get him he has to kyle reese has to dump all this information to sarah connor that he's come from the future but he does it all in a car chase so because you're excited about the car chase it doesn't feel like you're being hammered with all this information they do it in a really clever way in between the car chase and then it gets you into it so i like that yep 100 percent. and so and that to be honest that's all i've managed to cram in um, which is yep. a fair bit. I think I'm pretty pretty proud of that. Like, still That's done a good. full working week. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, the only other thing I have watched, and uh, I should be ashamed to say on the pod, I did watch nine episodes of The OC in about, since, well, probably since last weekend, actually. When did we record? I don't even know. I don't know. Welcome to The OC, bitch. Well, yeah. So why, ba- why, basically, what why are you ashamed was, of that? Well, because, well, I'm not, sure, I'm, sure what, I'm not ashamed. Excellent. I love it. But what's really funny is basically... Uh, Two of the Rachel Bilson and the I've forgotten her name. The lady who plays Julie Cooper have started a podcast called Welcome to the OC, bitch. So of course it's about rewatching an episode, and they get the directors or or the series producers in to talk about it. So I was like, oh, I might watch like one episode and you know see what it's like. And it just started a binge. But admittedly, because I've seen it so many times, it's the kind of thing that I have on in the background when I'm washing up etc because i've seen it so yeah. many times and i literally every beat is really bad like every beat i know it's coming and i'm like oh it's a bit with this mm. and that but still love it and genuinely the acting is surprisingly good for a teen show and just like adrian uh, i say his name wrong every time adam brody i find so funny and i thought i was really worried it'd be one of those things where i came back to it older and think oh that's not actually that funny that's actually really rubbish but there's loads of good stuff with the parents that i never really used to care about but maybe because i'm older now i'm more like oh they've got quite an interesting plot line 
as well. I don't yeah, know. yeah, no. Just, I, I mean, you, I yeah. mean, the, the problem, the only problem with the OC is that it's all downhill from the first season. So it yes, very, very much, much peaks at the first season, and the second season is slightly worse than the first. The third Two's is still slightly good, worse though. than the second. Two still uh, good because it's um, yeah, it's still good. It's when but, they're working that um, when uh, Seth starts working in the nightclub. But what I was going to say was. The series producer, sorry, the creator of the show even made a joke about how it all went downhill after season three because obviously he was making a joke about the fact Misha Barton wanted to leave and they were just yeah. desperate for her to not leave. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, Did um Have you seen One Tree Hill? No. The only thing right. I've seen from One Tree Hill, actually, which is really funny, is there's a scene where a guy is going in for heart surgery and as he goes in, they rush in with the heart and the heart drops out of a box and then a dog <laughs> runs over and bites it and then runs away with it. For anyone who's not seen this clip, I will I will make Jamie post it out on our Twitter or something because it's one of the funniest things. And it's just really bad hammy acting. So that's my only experience of One Tree okay. Hill. And I've so, just never felt the need to go to it. Well, if you the fact that you love the OC, just like me, I think you'd love One Tree Hill. I promise you, because you like Gossip Girl as well, don't you? XOXO. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe, I can't believe <laughs> XO, we're uh, XO. talking about this at the beginning. <laughs> and I've what? just come out with XOXO. Do you know, while, while we're on this thread of thought, I still find it weird that Rachel Bilson and Adam Brody were like an on screen couple, didn't mm-hmm. end up together in the end. But didn't he eventually marry the star from Gossip Girl who plays, of what's her character called? Oh, but I don't she know. Not Bla- Blake so- Lively? No. Well, she's the married other one. To- um, Oh, I don't know. Name. Oh, um, she, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, anyway, oh, she's got. A, is it Peyton? No. Um, mm, this is going to But what I was going to say was, name. to me, I always, as a kid, used to get the two of them confused. Cause I thought they looked really similar, so I found it really weird in my brain that Adam Brody dated one of them and then ended up marrying one. Well, of Well, you know them. who Just... Rachel Bilson is married to or was married to? Hayden Christensen. Is still married, are they? I don't know, but our very own Anakin Skywalker. For those who don't know. And when yeah. I say, just to clarify, not the old guy in Return of the Jedi, the guy from the prequels, the one who said he didn't like sand. Anyway, oh, yeah. absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's enough of an OC Hayden Christensen tangent. I think we ought to talk about our main film this week, Jamie, which was... A scary movie. No? Oh, no, sorry. That's what it was originally supposed to be titled. There's a bit of trivia for you. Um, <laughs> it's actually Scream from 1996, directed by... One of the masters of horror, Wes Craven. Hello. Hello. Who is this? If you tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. Uh, I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? I'll do some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. What did you think of Scream, Johnny? Consider it, so you'd never seen it before? I'd never seen it before, but the only, only bad thing is I had seen Scary Movie. And oh. you know the opening of Scary Movie where it's basically the same opening scene and it's like run this way for certain death and run this way for thingy. So I, I really had to like switch that off. But a few precursors to this. Jamie picked two horror films for me. And as everybody who's listened to this podcast long enough knows, is I really don't like horror films. I'm quite... I don't really like big jump flicks. The only horror films we'd ever watched together, let's say, was Amityville Horror, Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> yeah. What else have we watched together? 
not a lot. That's it. No, that's, that's it. about think, it. And that was no, about yeah. ten years. Well, that literally was ten years ago. Anyway, yeah. so I'm not. I'm not great into it. The only other one I'd really seen at the cinema was the um, Sam Raimi one, Drag Me to Hell. But Drag again, Me to Hell, yeah, Drag Me to Hell's great. Yeah, I actually quite like that actually. But anyway, I was surprised how not bloody this film was. I thought it was going to be way, way more violent. I, yeah. I really thought it would be. And well, I the did... opening the opening probably set you up for that. Yeah, but what I really enjoyed about this film actually is I think there's a lot to be said, and we've talked about it a lot in the pod, is you don't have to see everything play out. Sometimes what the imagination thinks about is worse than what you see. And yeah. I thought this yeah. film actually tried to really... Th- the thin line between showing just enough so you knew what was going on but I didn't actually have to watch everybody get brutally murdered, which was great for someone who's not a fan, fan of horror films. But yeah, I really enjoyed it, and I had no idea how meta it was. I didn't realise that the film was very self-aware and was taking... All, it felt almost, you know, like Joss Whedon with Buffy, kind of acknowledging tropes of the genre and circumventing that expectation by doing something different. I had no idea it was that. I thought Scream was... Stabby, stabby film. Straight up, straight no, up slasher. Yeah, and I really enjoyed the fact it wasn't. But sorry, what about you? Because this is a film you've seen many times. Did it still hold up? Is it still something you, you know, did you high, have it in a higher regard and then rewatched it and thought, oh, actually, it's not as good or I'm intrigued? So, yeah, so I've, 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 it's weird. Like, you know, when someone says, what film do you think you've seen the most? This is probably up there. Like, this, this is probably in the top 10. Like, I've seen this film loads of times. That's really surprising to me. Did you used to rent it a lot or have it on VHS or, you know, that um, kind of... So I had it on DVD. Okay. Um, I didn't have it on VHS, no. Because um, it was 96, wasn't it? So, no, I definitely didn't have it on VHS. Um, I just I just remembered seeing it. I remember thinking it was brilliant. But obviously, back then, I hadn't appreciated what it was doing because I was younger. Like, it was 96, so... I would have been seven when it came out. So obviously I didn't watch it then. So I must have seen it not long after. I'm, I'm, I reckon I was I was watching horror films with my mum, like probably from 10, 11, 12, that kind of age, which is really bad parenting. But yeah, like, I don't know <laughs> what to did. say. Like, <laughs> That's fine. I, I did. And I did it. And we'll go. I'll go into a little bit of um, that later on about my childhood via the horror genre, because someone we've had a few quite we've had loads of correspondence this week which is amazing yeah yeah we've had some really brilliant questions so yeah i mean so this so this time i feel like i enjoyed it more Mm, mm, hold on right so this time i appreciated it more than i ever have i would say the first maybe the first few times i watched it because obviously as as if you if no one's seen it hopefully you have seen it if you listen to the pod because it, there's, we, we will go into full spoilers. This twist in this film and the writing in this film is absolutely amazing. Like for me, like I think it compared, we, we associate slashes with either maybe low budget, bad acting, um, really hammy. That's what we associate slashes with. That's what I associate slashes with. A bar like stuff like Halloween, um, which again was quite low budget, but it was just done really well. Psycho. Um, Psycho, yeah, maybe one of the first slashers, actually the first ever slasher um, we can talk about is Black Christmas. Um, so Black Christmas is the first ever, we would we would say slasher in like quotation marks. Um, you've got like, you can go back even further and talk about stuff like Night of the Hunter, but it's not, 
really a slasher per se, but the really Black Christmas kicked off the slasher genre, uh, closely followed by Halloween. Yeah. So, yeah, it it lived up to the expectations. It I probably after watching the director's commentary, which I hadn't done before, I now feel even uh, it solidifies for me solidifies the fact that this is the greatest slasher ever made for me. Like, and I I don't know how many people can argue either i'm gonna be honest <laughs> like i think it's i think it does everything perfectly and on that note we should probably say the synopsis of what the film actually is about just in case you haven't seen it or you need a recap on screen i mean the synopsis is pretty straightforward um so basically a killer is on the loose um dressed up as you've all seen Ghostface. i want to talk about that that mask as well actually because uh, that was pretty terrifying growing up and uh, mostly like in my hometown. So a killer known as like, I guess they're calling him Ghostface. Um, he begins pretty, he's pretty much killing off uh, teenagers in a school. Um, so the main character, Sydney, uh, played by Neve Campbell, fantastically, by the way, I guess the story is she's had a traumatic experience a year before um, where essentially her mum was uh, raped and murdered. And so the killer then turns to her and her group of friends and starts hunting hunting her and she's basically trying to stay alive and it's really matter it like sort of contemplates the rules of the horror genre which we'll go into the rules later as well and then yeah they're, they're basically living inside a horror film but like so that and that's it isn't it like they're yeah. in their real world but they're living inside a horror film so it's like kind of inception do you know what i found interesting with that though is as someone who's not watched many horror films when they I probably took that on such a different level because when they're explaining the tropes of the horror film, I was thinking, well, I don't actually know that many of those because I don't watch that many of them. So I my take on that whole meta thing is probably so different to yours. I know from watching Buffy, though, Buffy twists the expectation of, oh, the blonde will die first and she's dumb and then Buffy was really smart and articulate and she kicked ass as well. And that was the whole thing of Buffy and female empowerment yeah. or what I always took from it. And again, this was another thing where... Neve Campbell's character Sydney isn't the victim for me. She very much takes it into her own hands, and yeah, she's an incredibly strong woman because yes. going through what she's been through, which you find out sort of twenty twenty five minutes in, and she she does sort of like she calls out like these these horror tropes like sort of throughout the film, but yeah, she's an, an incredibly strong character, and she she obviously is afraid, but. She is. She's fighting as well. I was going to say, one of the things I really liked, so uh, researching to the behind the scenes of this film, is the fact that Drew Barrymore was actually going to play the character of Sydney, But then she said if she played the character of Casey, who's the first victim of the film, it would really mess the audience's expectations up because obviously I believe at that point Drew Barrymore would have been a bigger star than Neve Campbell from the context I've seen I mean I'll be honest 100% yeah so so, so Wes Craven was saying yeah oh, carry on sorry no just I just found it really interesting that Drew Barrymore bought into it so much that she said yeah uh, I'll play this other character kill me off because it will really set the audience off you know to catch them off guard and I, I like that there's there's other films which have done similar things to that where you well again well I suppose realistically it's this it's the trope from Psycho you you don't expect the main character of the film after forty minutes to get killed off. No, she, no, know, no, it, of course it, not. It's, it's the same. It's the same idea, but this does it even quicker. It's what fifty, not even fifteen minutes. Well, Ten into minutes, the film. like yeah, within the first. So Wes Craven was saying, like Wes Craven and the writer, um, aren't, like, can you 
just tell me who the writer is in a second, Johnny. Like you've got it up, but I'll just talk about this. So Drew Barrymore, um, they so they said that they wanted the leading lady to be the first kill to again subvert the expectation. Um, go on, what's the writer's name? Kevin Williamson. Yeah, so Kevin, so that was what the director's commentary was on, and they were talking about how they wanted um, a leading a leading woman like to to play that first part, um, and the first I think the first scene that that kill scene is by far the worst, and they had um, the the NC NCA I think, which is the basically the same as the BBFC over here. That um, they were the scene where they're slow motion, and um, he's running and he he grabs her by the mouth and stabs her in the chest they told they asked Wes Craven to take it out and he said I only shot one scene like yeah. I only shot it once they and asked he says, the less bloody version and it was complete lie because he he'd shot multiple but just thought I like that one so I'll just tell them I can't believe they fell for that because with digital now someone will be on the hard drive on the server being like no you've got it there there's like 10 well it was 96 it. wasn't it yeah, so no, I don't exactly. know what um, yeah but anyway there'd be so, reels of film I suppose so they weren't going to check through those well no exactly so he he Wes Craven he wanted the shot the way he wanted it anyway so he said he had multiple takes but he told he's like no I'm, I'm sorry like it's, it's the only it's the only take we've got actually like so they kept it in and which obviously took it to nc17 which is an 18 over here um so yeah so drew barrymore is it begins like just dead normal doesn't it and it, she's she's sort of making popcorn in her house yeah and she, she starts getting phone calls from that creepy creepy voice do you know what though because i'm so scarred from watching the ring at a young age i was more freaked out the girl from the ring was going to be saying seven days than i was about the serial killer at the door <laughs> honestly i just i find it and harriet raised a really valid point because we watched it together and she really enjoyed it too actually but we were saying the facts of not you, we don't really have landlines anymore so it's quite scary thinking the idea of like landlord uh, sorry landlines and people having the number i know you can have a mo- it would yeah. be a mobile now but it, i don't know it's just quite quite a creepy concept now so this film was one of the first like they they were talking about it this film's one of the first films to use the mobile phone as as that kind of concept of like being someone's on on the loose a mobile sort of caller like and obviously you have like just before like i think before was made like when a stranger calls and stuff which is obviously based around the telephone as well but um yeah that, but, but straight away this this killer like calls calls up drew barrymore and she start and she he, she sort of hangs up on him a couple of times. He gets really angry, doesn't he? He um, gets incredibly angry, and or we believe just he gets incredibly angry, and he he keeps well. What weirded me out with this scene is though she hangs up the phone in once and then calls back and he gets really angry at her, and then she speaks to him quite normally after that. Yeah. There's it takes three or four calls or or whatever it is for her to to get freaked out by it, and I just thought if any random person calls me even if it's just to sell me something, I'm off by about 10 seconds in. She's very, very trusting on the phone. That's that's my... Well, she is, but I mean, I mean, we could say that, we could do that about pretty much every film ever made, like... Well, it's like, why does, you know, in Alien, why does the guy, sh- uh, why does uh, Kane shove his, his head in the in the face, in, in the egg? Because we as, as an audience know what a face hugger is, but the point was in 1979, no one knew what that was. And in the character's eyes... Why would they not? Because they want to investigate. And in this, she's got no reason to think it's... She might think it's, it's not that this is much better, but she might just think it's a guy because she jokes with him about going on a date and all that stuff. So she kind of normalises yeah. it. Not great, but <laughs> there we go. Yeah. So I've got like a few little like um, anecdotes for you around the these, this bit. So if you notice, um, when they're talking about... She, basically, 
for the audience, um, and I'm sure you've seen. I'm sure you've seen the film. They he starts doing a. She said, "Oh, he says, what's your favorite scary movie? What's your favorite scary movie?" And then he, she says, "Oh, um, well, I, I like Halloween. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street's good. The first one was good, but the rest were crap, right?" And so the hilarious thing about that is that when um, is it Kevin Williamson? You say it is. Yeah, Kevin Williamson. So Kevin Williamson said, so like he wrote, he wrote that, the, the script obviously. And Wes Craven was like, not sure about that because the funny, funny part about it is Wes Craven directed the first Nightmare on Elm Street, but none of the others apart from the seventh one, which is also considered really good. So yeah. the ones in between are like really sort of six out of 10. The seventh one, um, Nightmare on Elm Street, A New Nightmare is actually pretty good. So it's, it's just really funny when they say like in that, like, oh yeah, Halloween is really good. Like, Nightmare on Elm Street is really good, but the the rest are rubbish, which is it's just really funny. But Wes Craven was worried about it because he's like, oh, it just make. I was worried it was gonna make me sound big headed, but then I remembered that I'd obviously directed the seventh one. Um, so you're basically saying the seventh one's crap as well. So I love that, and I love the fact that that's when you start realizing that horror movies exist within the film, don't you? Yeah, and that's that's something as you said, like they're talk they when they're talking about all the traits of the horror film. And it's it's basically letting you know that. Or so you see Frankenstein's on the TV quite early on in. Uh, yeah, and yeah, he is. What was the other horror film? There's a few. There's Halloween. J- Halloween's uh, Jamie. Yeah, Lee Halloween's versus... on that. Yes. Yeah, so that's Halloween that they're watching in in the and the at the big mansion at the end. Yeah, yeah they're watching um, Halloween. And there's a, um, but... it's probably another film that I I haven't got the reference of. But yeah, they it's very clear that everything from pop fo- uh, from pop culture that we know about horror films exists in this world uh so it it presents itself as as reality i suppose is, is that you know yeah absolutely yeah and so the another so at this around that point now i'm only really i only really want to go in depth around the first the first kill scene because it's so important and it sets up the whole film um but basically they the way the way they wes craven really got like had a lot of trust with drew barrymore so Apparently, Drew Barrymore had told Wes Craven a story, um, like while they were filming, just saying basically. Uh, is this the about, animal cruelty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it made her so about a dog being burnt alive, and she was crying her eyes out while while he was while she was telling him. And so when he needed her, they they did this bit. So there's a piece when basically Drew Barrymore says, um, "My boyfriend's big. He plays football, and he's gonna kick your ass like." And he's like, yeah, well, why don't you turn on the patio lights? And lo and behold, Drew Barrymore's boyfriend's sitting there and he's been beaten up. That reveal shocks me, actually. I'll be honest, the film didn't make me jump as much as I thought it would. But that that bit did twist me in terms of I didn't see that coming. That was a good a good shot. And and the actual well, we're not there yet, but later on when we have the reveal of Who's yeah, who? I want to. I want to know how you felt about that. Actually, yeah. I'm. I'm really excited to hear. And how it you wasn't felt who I expected, that. but anyway, we'll, we'll we'll chat about that. When we oh, get okay. There. Oh, but, um... so th- so this for me, this is why this is so exciting for me because I because I've seen the film so many times, I can't remember how I felt and who yeah. I thought the killer was, and so that's why I'm really excited to see you with fresh eyes be like, oh, who, this I is what I thought. This and that. This, because for me, it's really obvious now. Like I'm watching it all the way through, and I'm like, that's that's so obvious yeah and i don't obviously you keep thinking billy's the killer all the way through there's a lot of how he keeps popping up it's really weird isn't it and they even make the joke of oh usually they actually know who the killer is in like the first act of the movie but then they get disproven and then they come back in they even 
call themselves out. Cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the trope of the film, and that's why it was so clever. So, yeah, one thing I want to talk about from that opening scene, I know we're focusing a lot on the opening scene, we're not doing play-by-play, but... No, but it is important, though, because it is such a, it's such a like visceral... Yeah, absolutely. But what I was going to say was, that, I think, you're right, is the most brutal bit of the film. That is the bit that was the most 100%. jumpy. The um, the first time you see the ghost mask at the window and it pops out at her is genuinely a, a good use of a jump scare and, oh. and properly scary. But what yeah. I really enjoyed was... Well, no, let's be clear. Like, the intensity of that sequence is really good because your heart is pounding. You are, you are following through. And I thought... Um, sorry, following... Drew Barrymore's character and really rooting for her but when she eventually the chase leads to outside doesn't it when she's running away the shot you've talked about which is in slow motion is really brutal but because they slow it down the motion of the cape and stuff is like quite it makes it look like a um, I always thought as a kid that the screen mask was like the Grim Reaper because of having the black um, hood and stuff and that moment when he lifts the dagger up before he stabs, it looks... Well, it's not the same, but you know they the, have... The dagger, like a, like a, me, like a medieval castle. <laughs> no, but what, what's it called that they, that they normally have, like the, the Grim Reaper they have, like... Oh, yeah, like a scythe. Yeah, for a split second, for me, it looks like that, and that imagery is, like, quite... Quite iconic, isn't quite it? Quite iconic and, and stark anyway. But what interested me is we were talking about how the, how the rating system made them change certain things, but yeah. afterwards we see... Drew Barrymore's character, uh, Casey, is hanging from the tree after she's being killed. That actually wasn't Drew Barrymore. It was, uh, 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 well, funnily enough, it wasn't Drew Barrymore. It was a... a, (laughs) Stunt double. No, model. What do you call it? It was a model. No, not a model. What do you call it? When they... Like a dummy, essentially. A dummy? Yeah. Yeah, we're essentially... Oh, I meant model as in like a... Yeah, like I went. I know. Yeah, I meant no, model I, as in dummy. I meant yeah. like a prosthetic dummy or, or whatever it was. Yeah, be. yeah, that's what I but meant. But yeah. what was crazy was uh, that shot. You know, it kind of like speed ramps up to the tree, so you don't yes. see it in slow motion normal time. It's yeah. because the studio thought it was too graphic in real time and too graphic in slow time. So what they did was removed every other frame. So that's where the MTV oh, like kind stutters. of speed ramp comes from. Yeah, because it makes it. You can't quite see it, but you get the idea yeah. of it's not nice. And I thought that's a really interesting thing because there's a few uses of that in the film where they have, I would say speed ramp. Sorry, to explain what a speed ramp is, if, if anyone doesn't know, in a film, it's where you take a film going from normal motion. So let's say it's 24 frames per second. And when that plays back, that looks like real life. And then if it suddenly speeds up, like imagine clicking fast forward on a VHS player back in the day or even on a DVD player on Netflix. Yeah, that's basically what the ramp is. And then it returns to normal speed. So what this clip basically does is they remove every other frame. So it looks as Jamie said, it's quite jittery, but it's jittery, so you can't clearly see the the grimness of of the hanging, basically. And again, yeah. that was a rating thing to get it down because they did get it to a fifteen in England. I'm not sure actually what they got it down to in America, but that was apparently one of the concessions they had to make was doing that. And apparently, one of the ways they were able to get the rating reconsidered was uh, saying to the studio, "Think of this as a comedy, not as a." horror film now i would say it's a black comedy to me more than anything there's definitely funny parts of it yeah because it's it reminds me of something like in bruges is a really dark film but it's still a black comedy do you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah. but obviously i'd say that's that's funnier in a lot of in other ways but i i don't know yeah 
for me, I, I I viewed it more as a black comedy, as I did with the Link film. I thought both of them you picked for me f- on the basis I actually thought was because you probably thought if I give him a black comedy, he'll have a better in on this than than if not, I did, to be honest. Yeah. So, I didn't want you to feel... Um, traumatised. Yeah, so, and, and do you know what's funny, right? Actually, a uh, friend of the show, like, I mean, friend of mine, Kim, she actually chose the, the pairing for us okay um because i'd spoke to her about it and i i was actually going to choose funny games which <laughs> would have probably broken you um but the reason <laughs> why i wanted to choose that is because they break the fourth wall a lot so yeah they it's essentially a home invasion film uh, these two guys invade a home and they there's 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 two films done by this it's by the same director so one's a, a foreign film and then he, the director comes and does an american version of the film as well um but it's re- a really uncomfortable film and they break the fourth wall so they look they look at the camera like just completely break it look at the camera straight at the camera and say oh you having fun yet so that's why i was going to use that because it's a bit more like like it's a good link for people who are who want an example of that think something like deadpool deadpool does that a lot doesn't it it's like oh absolutely here, yeah. here's hugh jackman how funny is this and you know making making jokes about Wolverine yeah. and stuff so that's that's what breaking the fourth wall is but yeah uh i i well, we're not on the link yet. We'll talk about that afterwards. But yeah, I I think I'd really psyched myself up for being absolutely traumatised by Scream to the point where actually it didn't make me jump anywhere near as much as I thought it would. But what I enjoyed was the fact that I hadn't guessed who the killer was the whole way through. Oh, that's so good. And I That's act- why the film's so Can good. Can I tell you who I thought it was? And, and uh, yeah, I, I go give on, you my logic. On. So when I watched the film, I thought that the killer was Officer Dewey because he really? had motive... On the basis of the character he played, they 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 belittle him in the uh, his is it his sister? Yeah. She belittles him in front of all his colleagues, and he's really uptight about it. And there's a few scenes where it lingers on him, looking off camera, and it could be he's investigating the thing, or it could be he's up to no good. There's another scene he's where your sweetheart Courtney Cox's character is a reporter, and when she's flirting with him to try and get some information about the case about what's happening i thought when he was kind of pushing her away in terms of like trying to not release the information i thought is he hiding the information because it's actually him and because he's got this persona of being quite a good guy and a bit you know a bit not quite there like he's not respected in the force he seemed as a bit of a bit of a joke i thought maybe that's the whole mantra maybe that's the whole thing and so the whole film I i was convinced it was him and I don't know. I the only time that changed was right towards the end because he was with um, Courtney, Courtney Cox's Cox, character yeah. and they're investigating somewhere. He finds Neve Campbell's, uh, Sydney's, Dad. Sydney's dad's yeah, car. Sydney's dad's car, yeah. And, and then you go, oh, no. And then you see the killers at the party. And then I was like, oh, it can't be him then. But then I didn't know for a split second. I was like, is it doing a time thing? Because we already they already talk about there's a time delay. So a, a camera yeah, stuck yeah. into the into the party by um by um i keep going to call her monica geller which is terrible by courtney cox's character yeah and i thought oh on the delay is this going to be a trick where actually it's a longer delay or, or you, do you know what i mean i just thought yeah so i i was completely shocked i can say this because you've all watched the film when it's revealed that it was the billy. two uh, yeah billy billy and his his mate what is his mate called He's the um, guy from Scooby-Doo. Look, 
Right. So when you said like when you're talking about Dewey, that just reminds me of Scooby Doo because it's like if it wasn't for you pesky kids, like because you expect yeah. you don't think it is him because he's the nice guy all the way through. But no, I, but I just I didn't trust him. I just thought he he he. I don't know. I just that's surprising. And also, that really is surprising. I tell you what scene gave it for me that I thought it was him. You know, at the start when uh, uh, Neve Campbell, after she's been attacked the first time, she gets a phone call when she's at a friend's house, and when she's yeah. at the fr- friend's house. He's uh, not yeah. available until no. immediately afterwards. Then he runs out and he looks a bit shaken up. Yeah, 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 and yeah. I thought, has he just made the phone call, hung up, and then just run in? And yeah. I, I don't know if the film was trying to make me think that or if I was just overthinking it and then I got into it. But that's what what I but, enjoyed from it. But not... You, so you didn't think it was Billy when... So, like, the the scene directly after um, this poor girl gets murdered, it cuts to and Neve Campbell. And they laughing and joking about stabby stabby or slashy slashy or well, something. Well, no, no. So there's, that's the next... So, uh, so this is bad. Like, I know the way this film plays out, like, dead easy. Like, because I know every single... Because I've seen it that many times. But the bit where Neve Campbell, she's in a room and then Billy just appears at the window. Do you know the bit that I mean? Yeah, I do. I, that, that. And he just appears like dead. He just jumps in. You, you just feel like he's dead dodgy. At the beginning, you and you're do, like, but and, I thought it's too like obvious. That's... It was that classic yeah. trope of, oh, it can't be him because it's Act One, and then it turns out it is him. But yeah, I, I, he, he's got a sinister look about him. I can't say otherwise. He, he seemed a bit dodgy, but also the reason he sneaks round to Sydney's house on that evening is so he's got an alibi for why he wasn't yep. the killer of Casey, which I hadn't. Obviously, I couldn't clock on to the end of the film because no. I didn't know he was the killer. But when yeah, I of course. when I thought that I thought, "Oh, right, okay, that 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 makes sense." Yeah. And yeah. we see we see then that like Neve Campbell is like so, so the thing that I loved about this and we'll talk about it in a bit is that the first film and the linked film the set the character profiles are almost parallel. So Neve Campbell in this is like she is I guess quite shy um you you can tell there's something wrong and so then Billy, like, essentially, every time I see him, he's trying to, like, make her feel guilty for not having sex with him. He's, yeah. he's a horrible guy, isn't he's, he? He's shaming her. Basically, she's you, you're told that since her mother died that they have not had a physical relationship, basically, is the implication. And he I spends... love the way you put that. I love the way you put that. It's so... Um, I don't know, so delicate, so delicately put. Yeah, that. they've not had a physical relationship. So <laughs> he, but yeah, but he is basically um, playing playing off her emotions, being like, you know, you can't... He says, my mum and dad separated and I got over it and so should you. And she's like, well, my mum did die. And yeah, he, they weren't and, separated. Like, you know, she did She did get raped and murdered. And, and he's just not, just not bothered at all. And you get the idea at that point, he might be a bit of a sociopath, the fact he just can't even relate or doesn't seem to care about it at all. Well, we find out he is a bit of a sociopath. That's um, true. So, well, but that, so that, in that scene, that's the first time when we hear Billy make a film reference. So he, 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 um, he speaks about the exorcist in that film. Love it because as soon as that, that scene's over, we see this big crane shot go into the, going into the school and Linda Blair is there, who, if you don't know who Linda Blair is, she is the exorcist. Um, she ah, is in the exorcist. Is she the so child that's, or was the child? Yes. Yep. Yeah, I right. love, well, I love that. So yeah. Um, in that scene as well, there's a, there's a lot of, there's, the, the score is unreal in this film. Like Marco so, Beltrami. so good. What did he do? So I was looking through Marco the score Beltrami and I couldn't did find, Terminator what did he do? 3. 
Yeah. So oh, that's why. No, I don't no, know. Marco, that's a shame. Marco Beltrami did uh, a lot of action films in the 2000s. So he do stuff like Alien vs Predator. He did. Okay. Um, I believe he most recently did Logan. I think was him. Logan. He does, okay. He does quite experimental scores in the sense of it's not. A, <laughs> this is no disrespect. We've had our, only a few episodes ago we were talking about movie soundtracks, but it's not Junkie XL, Hans Zimmer. <laughs> it's very different. He tries to do different stuff like Logan. It is, really works. It, it's like a Western almost, and it has like a lot of percussion, and it's really different yep. to what you'd expect. And this film, he said he didn't want it to be a standard horror music. He wanted to do something completely different. And he, he treated this as a Western, actually. He actually said in the reference, he treated it like a Western with the reveals, which is like a really strange choice. It's strange. Yeah. Anyway, I uh, yeah, Marco Beltrami. Okay, so uh, yeah, I didn't... So that, that piece when he's in Neve Campbell's room, Sydney's room... I just want it. So I've noticed a lot of things that you probably wouldn't have because it's your first watch. Me upon like 10th watch, 11th watch, I don't know. I start noticing these things. So Don't Fear the Reaper is playing acoustically. So you know the song I mean, like more cowbell. Yeah. Right, it's playing acoustically. So you can't really recognize it, but I recognized it. Um, Actually, it was Vicky that recognized it. But Don't Fear the Reaper is playing He's in her room. Just the the, the title of the song. Um, trying to get, so yeah. Basically, next day. Um, scores another hint, little. Sorry, I was going to say the scores hinting at that reveal early on. Like you, uh, you can yeah, catch that the second yeah, time around. It definitely is. Just to it quickly say, is. sorry, you've just asked him what he's done, and I haven't done him any. I've done him a real disservice by not knowing. So really quickly, he did Scream. He then did Scream Two. He did Halloween H twenty twenty years later. Presuming H two O. Yes, sorry. Yep. Uh, As well, he did The Crow, Salvation. He carried on doing Scream films. He did Resident Evil. So there's kind of a trend of horror films. Okay. He did uh, some of the Blade films, iRobot, Terminator 3, Triple X, and 310 (laughs) to Yuma, Max Payne. (laughs) You've done 310 to Yuma? Yeah. The remake, obviously. Yeah, he's got a really diverse... Uh, okay. Ah, 310 to you uh, is James Mangold, who is the director of Logan. Oh, yeah, no, so no. So that would yeah. make sense for me. So, yeah, he's done all sorts. But what I was about to say was, refreshingly, as Jamie said, all these scores are really different. I've, I've heard only a very small selection of them, I must say. But they are yeah. all very different and don't sound the same. So maybe yeah. worth checking out oh he did oh dear he no he did he, i tell you what else he did he did the fantastic four soundtrack for josh trank's film with um which uh, fantastic Philip four Lass. is that fantastic uh, uh so yeah he's done all sorts and he had done logan as i thought at a quiet place that's a brilliant soundtrack it's got very minimal but love that okay um so yes lots and lots of different things okay well i, I really do love the score in this and um, the choice of music's really good as well um, as I've just mentioned, this, so I just want to mention, so now Neve Campbell is in her house. There's a, there's a piece when she's in her house and then she gets called up. Well, all right. Can, so can I just mention, sorry to backtrack. Um, you know, you know, the bit where they're in the school and all the teens are talking and they're like, oh yeah, like they're talking about the dead bodies and they're talking about, they're just this really vile conversation. And throughout the film, the way teens are presented is pretty vile in general, like just the way how dismissive they are of all this kind of thing. So because of that conversation, they got kicked out of the school, the um, the production crew, they were kicked out of using that school. And they were like, no, 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 you can't, you can't have this kind of conversation. You can't present teens like this. And Wes Craven was like, well, 
that's just the way it's going to be. And they kicked them out. Yeah, they they are all very cynical and very world weary for teenagers, to be completely honest. And it's all yeah, it's horror. It's a ho- it's horrible, isn't it? But it's there's even a chat about at some point in the film they reference about that's what horror films will do to you, and they're even like, you know, do you remember with the yep, video? But they defend it, don't and, they? And they they're saying, you know, this isn't what's what we're trying to say. It, they're basically it's. The parents Horrors so, don't make killers; they just give killers ideas. That's that, what he. That's, that's what he says. That's and, what Billy says. The head teacher's really great. I love the head teacher where he's just like, you "What's know, the funds?" It, it's the yeah, it's the classic. Back in my day, there would have been none of this, and you know, you guys have no idea. You've got no respect, no boundaries, no rules, and and this is you know, and that's very much tapping into what you've said about the teenagers just being quite rubbish people in general well they, yeah they're just they are just crap but i must think i must say that like back in the 90s and early 2000s like we were crap at school like we were horrible so i, d- I don't know whether that's like we would nothing was off the table like political correctness wasn't a thing like back when i was at school and this, this was only like maybe i don't know like 15 years ago i was gonna 2005 say i finished my year gcses which is depressing we would like the language we used and the things we talk about just it wasn't even it we'd just talk about whatever we wanted it was ridiculous and i don't know what kids are like now maybe they don't maybe they're maybe kids are just a bit better now because we've got um a lot of like access to social media and stuff to tell us that these things we're talking about is wrong and that kind of I does think that make so. sense yeah no i think so as as we've we've talked about woke generation before but i genuinely believe that there's a a better standard of moral moral standards of what isn't isn't appropriate and i think absolutely yeah it was a bit and for more, the better like it's a good thing 100 like, i i would say it was arguably more of a wild west before beforehand honestly nothing's like, off the like as i said nothing was off the table right did you notice it was the funds that was the principal then uh no but now you from said happy it, days yeah it makes sense yeah it, but, uh, he, yeah and it's funny right because he he literally acts is it's exactly how you'd imagine the funds to be as a principal, like, well funny. Um, but so can we t- just really quickly talk about um, the part where Neve Campbell first gets called? So yes. She falls asleep at her house and she gets a phone call. And that's when we real, that's when Sydney t- starts sort of like calling his bluff, like thinks it's her friend. So there is a character in the film that actually like I really love. What's his name? It's not Matthew Lillard because he's the guy who's obsessed with the films. And yes, goes, he works in the video store. As soon as that video store scene happened, I was like, "Oh, this is why Jamie's got me watching it." Because any any film you've recommended recently has had at least one scene with a video store in, including um, what's the one I'm thinking of? Lost Boys, fairly recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lost Boys, yeah, recently. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Do you know what? I just, I just, I'm a sucker for a video store. I really am. I just absolutely do you know what really it. out of context one of my favorite video store scenes and this is very out of context is in i am legend when will smith's going mad and he's just got random people at the video store do you remember the mannequins yeah like, he's got mannequins in there that he talks to yeah. and he's like oh so-and-so won't talk to him and he basically starts having a breakdown in the. i haven't the saw video. that film in years like is it considered good still um i think it's one of these where the director's cut ending was far better than what was released if I remember correctly. I, I think I've seen both endings. The I've only seen both thing that upset me with that is Ridley Scott was supposed to make that film for years and he planned to do it all practically. And then when they did it, they did it with CG and I don't remember yeah. the CG being great back then. So if it wasn't great to be back then, I don't think it would be better now. But as with Book of Eli, which is a film which hadn't aged particularly well in terms of some of the, the CG, etc. But 
much like Denzel Washington's performance in that film was so captivating, you kind of went along with it. I remember yeah, um, yeah. Will Smith is brilliant in I Am Legend and the relationship with the dog Sam. And I also lived oh, with God. a German Shepherd called Sam for a year when I was in Melbourne. Oh. Much love. Oh. So uh, yeah, like I yeah, I think that film would hit me even worse now because it's it's quite yeah brutal. It's quite brutal. Anyway, so yeah, so so Sydney's talking to um, who she thinks is her friend. So it's Jamie Kennedy is the actor. I can't remember the the character's name. Um, but anyway, so they're they're having this conversation and he, she stills caught. She's calling him a bluff, calling her bluff, and he and she says. Oh yeah, I just think it's stupid because the killer, like the girl, the girl's always like running up the stairs where she when she should be running out the front door, and that's another sort of like call trope. All these, all these slashes, like the trope of when like the the girl's running away and the killer's just walking and she's like making all these bad decisions. And he's called Randy. That was it, Randy. Randy. Randy's like excellent. Like possibly my favorite character. Like I I find him. I think he's hilarious. Um, he works in a video store, so she thinks it's him, and so yeah, it's the it's but it's the killer, and so she, so we realise like how brave Neve Campbell is, like uh, Sydney's character is at this point. So he says, "Oh, I'm out, I'm outside the front door," and she's like, "Oh, are you?" And so she then goes out the front door, unlocks the front door, and she she goes and has a look, and she can't see anything, and we realise just how brave brave she is. Yeah, hundred percent. And again, she's. She refuses to to hit the stereotypes or the tropes of what she should be doing in a horror film, and does the opposite, which is must be for a horror fan really satisfying to see. Yeah, and and it, no, it is. It, it's, it's all the reason why this film's a breath of fresh air is because it is so unique and it does it's so self aware and it does all the things coupled with fantastic writing. It does all the things you expect a slasher not to do. It has really good acting. It has a really good story. The killer has. An amazing motive you find out at the end. You're like, oh my God, the motive is really good. But about that motive, one of mm. them has a really good motive because we find out that it's actually yeah. two people doing the killing. One of them has a great motive. So it yeah. was the mother. So Neve Campbell's mother. So Sydney's mother was having an affair with his father, correct? Yeah. And yeah, that's right. He. That's why, yeah. Sorry, no, you go. That's well, that's why they, that's why his mum and, his mum and dad split up. Yes. And yeah. why he then went and killed her mother. Very messed yeah. up. Which also yeah. ruined his love life. You know, well, and he was very annoyed about it. But anyway. Well, she's she's essentially, she's sent someone to the gas chamber. Well, the electric chair. So so Sydney has sent a, um, sent a man to the electric chair who is innocent. And she believes that he is guilty, but kind of not sure towards like, we find, she's not really that sure, is she? No, and when Courtney Cox's character has the news reporter, she's written a book, hasn't she? Or sorry, wrote a book, written a book. I always get that wrong. She's anyway. uh, she wrote a book. Yeah, she wrote a book, and it was about the fact that that narrative she believes wasn't true, and Sydney yeah. starts to question that throughout the film, and then obviously by the end of the film, that that stance has changed. I was going to say though, uh, when we were talking about Randy's character, my favourite scene with Randy is towards the end of the film there's a big house party and at this big house party is where we find out the reveal of the fact it's actually two killers not just one sorry we yeah. will we will go back to the motive because i just realized that was the tangent i was on what i was gonna yeah. say was randy is watching a horror film and having a go saying the killer's right behind you just turn around just turn around yeah. and literally the killer's behind him and i was like brilliant absolutely love that but no what i was going to say was um 
what was the tangent I was just on? Completely lost it before. We were linking so we back would, to... We, we were just talking about um, the... We were, but we were talking about Sydney in the house, um, the, the motive of the killer. Sorry, the motive of the killer. So the second killer says something which actually really made me laugh. He, they, he, she was like, well, what's your motive, basically? And he's like, oh, peer pressure. And he starts laughing. And it's just right. like, he's just did it for kicks. Like, there is no, there's no reason for him to do it. And it was the idea of, I think the director talked about, it's really scary when they didn't have a motive. And they played with the idea of filming a version, I believe, where there was no motive. Because that was scary from the perspective of actually, oh, well, if, if they're just doing it for no reason, they're just a psycho and that's really scary. But then other people are like, oh, that, is that quite unsatisfying to an audience because they want a reason why and then they can kind of justify. I suppose it's that justification of why it can't happen to them because nothing in their life has happened. Do you know what I mean? When you when you apply it to yourself in a horror, it's kind of giving no, no. you the get out of jail free card. 100%. Uh, yeah, yeah, 100%. And um, that's it's funny because movie scenes dot and shit writes in from Instagram. Um, and he actually says, um, Matthew Lillard doesn't get enough credit. So he's, he, so that, so the reason why I wanted to go into that a little bit is because you, you just mentioned, he says peer pressure, all, most of that scene is all improv improvised from him. So he ah, says, okay. oh, oh, peer pressure, like my mom's going to be so mad at me. Like, yeah, like all that, that. is, yeah. it's all improv. The, the piece when, um, Billy throws the phone at, uh, Matthew Lillard. I saw this. It one. sticks to yeah. his hand because basically because he's covered in blood and stuff. It sticks to his hand in the like during filming and actually hits him in the back of the head. He was supposed to throw it at the at the um, the table, but it hits him in the back of the head. And that's improv when he says, "Oh, you hit me in the head, man!" Yeah. Like, that's all improv, like, and it's so clever. Like he does a lot of that during the film. I liked with his character as well, though. That I watched the video and it was analysis of working out who killed who at what point. Because obviously right. the first time I watched it, I just thought nothing of it. But they have two very distinctive styles. Our, one of our writers actually wrote in something about that, actually. But the way they hold the knife is different. So the boyfriend, yeah. when he kills, he strangle, he stabs, then strangles. While the other killer raises it, I think, with... Oh, I don't want to get it wrong, but one raises it with one hand, one does it with two basically yeah, is the so, idea so they have a different so, yeah. style i don't know like so, stance whatever you want to call it jle yeah jle underscore likes underscore stuff does listens to the show and writes in from time to time he says you can tell which killer is which because stew wipes his knife with his gloves not a verif not a verified theory so the that whole like um ritualistic um like wiping of the the knife where's craven and the the writer why do I keep forgetting this guy's name? Williamson. They so basically they said they said that the idea of the film and the naked blade wiping off wiping off the thing that it's just something they started doing and carried on with. Um, it's it's that's that's really iconic as well. Like that that it's kind also of also quite creepy because it seem makes it seem really mundane because you're going on to the next one. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's like, it's oh, like yeah, gotcha. oh I've done I've I've got rid of that person onto the next one and. As you said, yeah. I, th I think another thing we haven't really mentioned, I'm sure you you would would have wanted to talk about, is with the costume. I know initially they were going to have a white cape, rather well, than that would have been awful. Yes, but but the, the blood on the white cape would have looked good. That, and I think that's probably more of the reason why they didn't do it. But also because when it was all white, it was actually probably a lot easier to see, whilst actually just having the face appear as light 
and then right. the rest be hidden in the shadows is actually a really smart move i th- believe i don't quote me on this i'm pretty sure it was the uh, the producer who suggested the change and when they okay. did the costume test they were like oh that's way better because i can't imagine scream being an all-white character and also probably an issue in america was it might have looked like a coo coo Oh, a KKK member. Yeah, I can't get my words out. But yeah, it probably would look too similar to that, which would cause all sorts of issues with the MPAA. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so you mentioned the mask again. Can I just mention, like, and I'm a little bit older than you, so I don't know what sort of up, like, upbringing you had in your, like, little, little town where you lived. Sheltered. Yeah. Well, I'm from quite a rough town, and that mask, right? People used to buy that mask, wear it, and beat people up, chase people, mug people, all the things, oh my apart God, from that's... obviously, oh not the things that were going on in that film, because that would have been horrendous. Not to the same level, no. But that that film, like, during Halloween and stuff, like, people would wear that mask and, like, you'd get mugged. People, not you, I, I've never, I'd, fortunately, I'd never been mugged, but they would they would do really bad things for that mask, and... I remember it's seeing funny. that mask a lot around Halloween, though, and t- it would always be like a teenager's favourite because it would just creep people out. Because it's actually a lot creepier than a Frankenstein mask and stuff because Frankenstein, you know what it is, but it's just the eerie thing of the screen, much like the famous painting, is it? it's just weird. It's the elongated mouth. It's just quite no, a it's, weird it's, image. It's horrible. And I think it's important to uh, answer a question from Stan for Films um friend of the show uh, has written in before so stanford film says a question that i haven't even found the answer to why are people addicted to seeing violence gory slasher etc in film meanwhile in the real life if we do that we would call it a psychopath i believe it's to do with we talked about the idea of people have cinema for different reasons some people have it for escapism some people have it for are more into dramas and stuff because they want reality and they actually don't want to get lost in a galaxy far, far away or Marvel yeah. or Star Wars. Now, with this, it's a way of kicking in the fight or flight instinct, I think, in a safe environment. So you, when you watch a good horror film, if it makes you jump and gets your adrenaline pumping and you care about the character, you can only feel like you put yourself in the shoes of that character and it makes you weirdly live through that experience but you still know you're going to be okay and i remember years ago one of my english teachers told us about a book he was reading and it's like when scare why do you what it was like why do people take uh go on dates to see horror movies and apparently it's because there's like a natural instinct of protectiveness and coupling so that was like another thing i hadn't really even considered before but it was like it's like since we were cavemen the idea was we work better as packs and groups especially as male and female so if you see it on a date it's kind of it might seem quite old hat now i'm aware of that but it was just an interesting another factor to it but no the main thing i think is knowing that you are at the end of the day safe but seeing and viewing something that you wouldn't normally see so it is an escapism of sorts but it's far enough removed where you're not you because I said, to, I actually asked Jamie on the pod last week, I said, I don't understand how you can sit and watch these slasher films and what do you get out of it? Now, what I got out of this one was it was more like a mystery. Who's who's who? Who did it? Now That's I, why I thought, that's, and that's why I think, that's why I knew you would like it because of that aspect. I always said to you, and I know not everyone likes The Ring, I love The Ring from 2002 or whatever it was because it's a detective story. 
the horrors on the back back seat it's the investigation into who is samara who is this girl what happened to her why was she on the island that film is why that film scares me and makes me jump a lot but i will happily have that if there's a context we talked about this really important it it is a really great example of that film's got some horrific moments the fridge bit i think is the one that really got me you know when he's yeah. transformed into the fridge. We watched it, yeah, mind, yeah. didn't we? This is a long, a long time ago. But yeah, we watched it together. And that freaked me out so much. But because the kid characters and the story of that group of kids coming together is so good, then I don't mind. And like, yeah, I suppose seeing the things this horrible killer clown does is because yeah. I'm safe in my home environment or the cinema where I know it's not real. That is a long explanation. I, I should ask you, like, what what's your takeaway from it? Do you think it's similar or am I completely off the mark? No, I fully, I get what you mean. I think it's a similar thing to people doing skydiving and stuff. I think that people love that, unfortunately, love that adrenaline rush. So I once, (laughs) I once said, um, so Oblivion at Alton Towers, right? Um, For our American listeners, everyone in the UK should know that. American listeners, it's a roller coaster that drops you up to the top and then it's got a vertical drop all the way down into a black hole. I used to say, I think that's the closest you can come to dying without actually dying. And I love it. The the feeling, the adrenaline, the exhilaration, there's something around that. Obviously, if a killer broke into our house, yeah, it'd be the worst thing. What a bad day. I, I mean, that is the understatement of the year. But what I was going to say as well was, it's, um, it's the idea, and it sounds really cliche, and I'm really sorry, but... It makes you feel alive when you watch a film and it makes you vis- viscerally visceral reaction like psycho no matter how many times i see it and I, I, yes it is dated i'm not going to say it's still the the scary slasher because obviously it's not we know what to expect but it's still so visceral that shower sequence from what you don't see and what it makes you think yeah. about the, the experience and it still makes you the next day when you go in the shower think what if someone did come around the corner and i can't see it and all these things and it's that idea of when a good horror film will play in your mentality afterwards and keep me thinking we talk about this with so many films of a good film or we were thinking about it a few days later and we were still talking about it yeah. and the themes really stuck with us a horror film should basically david finch talks about he loves making films that scar and seven it was that we talked about very early on in the pod an example of a film which scarred people from not showing them a lot of things but showing them the aftermath so you think about all this brutality and yeah yeah and i, I think it's a very similar thing well films that like it's an invoke an invoke emotion yeah that yeah but are you terrified of the sea yes i've seen jaws and then went to try and go swimming in the sea in australia and didn't feel like i was are you terrified of the sea yes it can kill me um <laughs> <Yeah>. the <laughs> that's what i mean though the the whole the whole thing around the these things that that's i guess scare us like it gives us an like things that make us cry so i, I always the films that the films that leave a, such a big impact on me are the films that make me cry because it invokes that emotion. The films that scare me to death, which not really much scares me nowadays. I think the most scared I've ever been in the cinema, I went to see Paranormal Activity with my brother. That it, that was terrifying at the time. And so that's what I mean about when I was talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I can't imagine being sitting there in 1974. None of n- This has never been really done before. And seeing that for the first time on screen. But, oh but my it would God. have been the same as something like psycho when an audience had never really seen anything like that and it's like oh my god we're watching someone being stabbed in a shower and then another exactly. one 
Alien was uh, people complained because of it really affected pregnant women because it's like right, this horrible okay. birth sequence. Well, it's, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but what I was going to say was, um, yeah, it's it's visceral reactions. I think a visceral reaction where you a horror film is one of the only kind of films which, like you said, uh, an emotional film might make you cry or, or what have you. But horror films yeah. make you feel alive because your heart will jump and will get yeah. you going, and you do get an adrenaline kick. And actually. I'm now starting to understand that because even in a really good action film, we're so pummeled with good action, even on TV these days, to genuinely get your heart racing, you've got to do a lot. You've got a lot of work to do. While a horror for you've me... You've got to do a Mad Max or The Raid. Yeah, but for me, having... Yeah, The Raid I found exhausting, though. I really enjoyed The Raid, but the first, you know, hour was just non-stop, wasn't it? Like... It's, yeah, it's yeah. unlike anything you've ever seen. But I... I the, so the... What... um. What Stanford Films is, is asking though is, is it is it a bit? I think what he's trying to say is, is it a bit weird? Like that I personally people like gore and slasher. You say yes. I yeah. I personally think it is because I don't get the benefits of it. But then I will always counter this with some of my favourite films of the Alien franchise, which are some of the goriest. Like Alien One is always more gory than I remember watching it back. But yeah. even like Alien Three. I know, of course I've brought it up but that is a it's not a horror film but it's a very bloody film it's very very gory Alien Covenant we talked about here you always laugh at me because you go oh Johnny says he doesn't like horror then watches the film where something bursts out of someone's back and spews blood all over the thing and then yeah. they trip up but what I was going to say was I think the films that I find difficult and we've talked about this before is torture porn because torture porn is to me something that could happen and I know you could say the same about the serial killer genre and maybe that's why I'm uncomfortable with it because it scares me the idea of it could happen but when I watched, I went to, uh, when I was a teenager, the first film I saw underage classic was Final Destination 3. Now, I've always yeah. hated theme parks. I've always hated okay. hate roller coasters anyway. And then I saw that and it, I've never, never been on anything since. Like, See, you don't like it? You don't like roller coasters nope, and stuff? Nope. It's completely solidified the fact that I have no interest in ever any of that. I do but, have a rule about roller sorry, coasters. No, go on, well, go I have on. a rule about theme parks. I won't go on any rides that are fold away. So you know yes, when like understood. you get a yeah. fair and they just like set up a theme park, I'm like, nope. Yeah. I'll be um I'm fine. I think I'll just go on the the theme park that's always there. Yeah. I don't want a fold away ride. But no what, thanks. But what I was gonna say was with Final Destination three though is that's the thing that maybe that because that was my introduction to horror, that's probably why I have a weird relationship with it because I think those films glorify really horrible deaths and i just couldn't as a teenager understand i mean i went because my friends went to see it and i wanted to be cool let's be honest that was why i went i think we were with girls funnily enough so it was very much one of those peer pressure situations but i just remember coming out of that thinking why do i want to watch so i watched someone die in a in a tanning bed get stuck in i remember that i remember that yeah i watched someone lifting weights and then the weights kind of break him if i remember right i can't remember or a sword comes down something just And I just, and I just remember thinking, who gets kicked out of this? But there were some people in the cinema loving it, and I just thought, well, good on them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you are right though. If it was normal life, and and like people would view that as a very strange thing. There's no two ways about yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, to finish, like we're it's bizarre because we're happy seeing action films when um, people are getting pretty much like murdered 
at all times with guns and stuff. And collateral but, damage in those films. If you actually yeah. stop and think about it, you're like, okay, so that's probably about 100 people dead and this and this and that. But, we but you accept. don't think about that, do you, really? It's an escapist you, thing, so you, you don't get into it. Yeah, yeah so I, fe- I, I feel as, like, just as human beings, we want to experience all emotions, but we want to do it safely. So In a controlled see, environment, like a... Yeah. like. Like those, you said at the beginning. And also those, uh, you know, when you sit in those rooms where they play the 3D films and they shake the chairs about and it's like you're flight, yeah, in yeah, a flight yeah. simulator, but you're not. Yeah. That's the same thing. It's, it's to me, it's giving you the feel. Adrenaline junkies. Yeah. All the same thing. Like, yeah, jumping off a cliff and not dying because you've got a bungee rope attached to you. Same, same. It's a, it's a similar thing. Like, but yeah, uh, Stanford films, you're right. We would call them psychopaths. We don't like them. Why do we glorify violence? I've got no idea. Exactly the same as um, we when we glorify uh, mobsters and stuff. Like I am massive into that kind of genre. Absolutely love it. But they are disgraceful people. I think um, it's, let's hope it's, we've got no mobsters listening to the podcast, or I'm done for. That's it. I was um, going to say though. I think again, it's that thing of trying to sample a world of something in a controlled environment that you know nothing about, and that's. I why- want to sample a world where I'm not going to go to jail. I mean, I don't mean that serial killerish. I mean the mobster kind of thing. Yeah, because that, that's weird. You want to, you want to. It's it's a way of allowing you to experience something without being ever having to be a part of it, and it's it's interesting to a viewer because it's something they'll never have any experience of. And with all exactly. these things, it's like when a boxer watches a boxing film and tells you actually why it's really bad. A mobster might watch most mobster films and say it's utter rubbish, but for us, the viewer, it's the closest you'll get to being a part of it. Yeah, you're so, getting a peek into the world. That's it. So yeah, anyway, there you go, Stanford Films. You've sparked a big discussion. Thank you so much for your question. Great question. Let's just flash forward the mansion. They, so there's this, basically, school gets cancelled because all of these murders are going on. Sydney thinks it's her own boyfriend because a mobile phone falls out of his pocket. So she fingers him and basically sends him uh, to jail. Just so happens she gets a phone call while he's in jail from yeah. the killer. How can it be him? Oh, we don't know. So now, it ca- how can it be Billy John? How can it be? And that's why you were like, yeah. oh God, it can't be Billy now, can it? But I just love the fact I was so convinced of the police officer. I was actually quite annoyed at the end when it wasn't. Because you know when you think you've nailed it? I'm like, yeah, def. You know when you start a film and you go, it's definitely him. And you just, you commit. You know, like every oh, scene yeah, you commit. No, definitely. I'd so committed to it not being either of those two. But yeah, um, that final party scene goes on for a large part of the film. It's about 40 minutes of the film. The film's only like an hour and 50 minutes, you know. No, I know. It's, it's, but, it's the, a massive sequence. The pacing, the pacing of this film is amazing. Like, I cannot gush about this film anymore because I, I genuinely, I, I, I would love to have discussions with people that would that would sort of tell me different that this isn't the best slasher. Um, I just think it's the best the genre's got to offer. Like, it's it's just every, every single thing about it, it, it knows what it is. I would actually say, having watched this, that he has made me more open to watching films with the tropes because a film that addresses all these tropes and I've actually only watched very few and stuff like Alien breaks the tropes. Like having, do you know what I mean? So a lot of the films I've watched have been the ones that circumvent the trope. I've not actually watched many with the trope. So maybe maybe this is going to start that. For the pod, for the journey, I'm, I'm all game. And um, honestly, we, we, I always say to Jamie, because like, we always laugh, it's like, oh, Jamie's picked the film again this week. And uh, the reason is, I've not seen... You gave me nothing, didn't no, you? Yeah, no, you gave that, me nothing. That too. But what I was going to say was, I have a habit of 
I find it really hard to get into new films, but I like getting them off recommendation. So the fact we can do it through the pod format is really great. And sometimes it's really nice because it's a film we both haven't watched and then it's really good. Yeah, but- you've got no choice, have you? Like at this point now, like it's, it's almost like I've got to watch the film for the It's like podcast, homework. It's so like, I can't avoid it. Yeah, exactly. I just, I just, yeah. Have I give you any duds yet? Like, what what duds have we? Have I give you anything that you really, apart from Revenge, but it was a good film, but you just didn't like? The... I still took a lot away from Revenge. There's a lot I did like. This is the weird thing. There's so many of the films at the time. It's like I take a while to. This links into all of our questions. Actually, I was going to say sometimes I watch a film the first time and I might not be into it. And then the second time it'll be a reval. Sometimes with me, I have to take a few days to assess what I think about something because sometimes my initial reaction isn't the same as how I th- view it later and what I'd say the biggest dud oh, you make it I'm trying to remember all the films we've watched now I think oh oh it, no it's obviously we've some Wrecking oh, Crew Wrecking Crew I didn't but you, you, you chose that do you know what the, the funniest thing was though Wrecking Crew was the worst one but also the one I had so much fun with I didn't care I was just laughing at Dean Martin singing as he was it was just, I'm Dean Martin, Martin. <laughs> I'm yeah. walking into a room yeah that film was so bad it was good so actually I'm not saying that I think the one uh, I didn't... I, no, Monsters... I enjoyed Monster Squad. I don't know. Monster Squad's fun. It was fun, wasn't it? Mon- Monster- no, that's what I mean. I, I just wondered, like, because, yeah, you very much are a re- re-watchable. Like, you... You, you say that. I don't, you, even, I don't even re-watch stuff now. I don't even have the time to re-watch stuff. I'm really bad. But, yeah, you're right. I For years, I, I very much was... Of, when Jamie and I did the first episode, he talked about how when we first were... When we first met at uni, you were very much of, I have seen every existing good film and there will be no other good films and... and that God. is it and we, oh, me and you no. were the I same I used to say that no, didn't no, I no, but you used to say that and, and me and you both had that mentality for a long time how embarrassing so, no it's, it's fun but that's why we had our favourites and we had our things and what's great about the pod is for me is uh, you have especially in lockdown I'd say you went through a phase where you really dug into your cinema a lot and had had a fair amount of time to do it and I think what's been great for me is I've got to reap the benefits of that and watching the different stuff but what I want yeah. to talk about, actually, as we're on it, we were talking about films and how we think they're a dud or not. We had a really great question asking us about, who is it from? So, Views by Quinn writes in, just like you can, to uh, at Movies in a Nutshell or at jcb.video yep. or Movies in a Podshell at Google Mail, at gmail.com. gmail.com. Yep. Yep. Um, and he says, any movies that you didn't like first time watching but came to eventually love yep. Johnny? I've got three, and they're all really controversial. So, actually, I might okay. have four. The first time I watched 2001 Space Odyssey, I thought it was dull. I thought it was boring. I thought it was slow. And then I watched it as a teenager. I was probably 12 or 13. Then when I kind of realised... when Again, it's, a, it's, a lot, it's not very story-based. It's theme-based. And I really... When I understood the themes more as I got older, read the critical analysis of it, I enjoyed it far more. I also think it's one of the most visually spectacular, purest cinema experiences ever. I love it. The second one I was going to say, another sci-fi, was Blade Runner. The first time I watched Blade Runner, you know, my dad had said, Blade Runner is this really great film and I was really excited to watch it. And it was slow. Again, it was really slow paced. And again, as I've got older, I'm a lot better with slower paced films because, you know getting into Hitchcock's and stuff at the time, they were considered probably quite fast paced, but a lot of them are quite slow. Um, For example, The Birds is quite slow paced. Vertigo takes its time. It's two hours, 20 minutes. And that wasn't really a thing 
then no, for a film of not. that it's style. Like really long, yeah. And we talked previously about Spartacus, which again, like admittedly the epics were longer, but you know, I've got a lot better as I've I'm got Spartacus. older. Yeah, I've got a lot better Sorry. as I've got older with slower with slower films. So I think a lot of the films that I didn't like when I was younger and rewatched and then came on to love were slower paced films. I think maybe that's a just says a lot about attention span as a teenager to growing up. But a film I saw when I was an adult, I can't remember what year it came out now, but La La Land, the first time I viewed it, I didn't love it. I was really, really frustrated with it. I Weirdly, one of the main reasons I like it now is the fact that it is basically a 1950s, 1960s musical with all the benefits of modern technology filming it in... in uh, in 2000 what was it 15 16 i don't know like modern day is the point i think it was 2016 yeah 2016 and i wasn't mad the first time i heard it i wasn't really into the music that much there wasn't a song which i really took away from it but i was also frustrated by the ending i'm not sure if we're gonna go into spoilers for the ending for that film because we talked about it a few times but the point no, being shouldn't. it didn't end the way i wanted it to but then i realized a very key thing that was the point the whole experience yeah, of the film of course, is this emotional yeah. roller coaster without going too far into it. And then when I watched it the second time, I realized that I had remembered a lot of the music. I did like the music. The choreography is amazing. I got yeah. really into Damien Chazelle, having then watched Whiplash, having then watched, uh, oh, I always get it wrong, First Man. The, the First Man, yeah. One. yeah. So yeah, that is a more recent film where I say as an adult, you know, I viewed it, I haven't got the excuse to say I was a teenager and it's slower paced. It was just not what I wanted it to be. And then I came to love it for what it is. So, yeah, those are my three. Bit of a random selection, admittedly. How about you? Um, Well, I don't really... I'd struggled with this, to be quite honest. And they're both relatively recent and very different. So the first one was the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Something Ford. I think it's Robert Ford. Um, yep. Anyway, um, it's got Brad Pitt. It's Roger Deakins cinematography. I first watched that. I'd heard like, oh, it's a 10. It's a 10. Like, it's so good. And I was just like watching it. I was like, it's two hours, 40 minutes or something. And I was like, this is really slow and quite nice to look at, but really slow. And then I just I stopped watching it like, I think maybe an hour and 45 in. I was like, nah, this has got nothing else to give me. I'm just really bored. And I never switch films off. It's very so, unlike you. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would just sit there. I was like, mm, I've done, I've done that. I'm out. I'm, but then something happened. I was like, nah, I just kind of bothered. Like, I'm just, I think I'm done. It's not for me. I then, I'd, I'd still continue to see like really good reviews. Like, this is really great. Like, these, this is, these are the reasons why it's good. You should really watch it. Like, it's not. I think maybe I was going in expecting something different. So I went in a second time with new eyes. I went in like a little bit refreshed knowing what I was going in for. And I think when I went in with those different expectations, I enjoyed it far more. And it's actually a fantastic film. Uh, you really should watch it, John. I think you'd love it. Um, I think you were probably originally, it was around the time stuff like 310 to Yuma came out. So you probably yeah. might've had the idea of another Western coming, that kind of style. And then it's very much- I just like, expect, yeah. From what I've seen- It's a character trailer, study. It's, it, yeah, it's it's not that kind of thing. It's a lot slower burn. Sorry. It's a slow burn. burn. It's a character study um, that- yeah, um, that's that's where I was with that. Um, another film that I didn't like at first was a film called The Mutilator. In America, you'll know it as, I think it's called Full Break. The reason why it's called that is because it's got an incredible sound, an incredible song that pretty much repeats throughout the whole film. 
the, the song is called Full Break. Um, it's The Mutilator is a slasher. Obviously, I brought it up because of the show. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. It's it's a five out of ten. There there is a scene. There's a scene in there where they're like searching around the house, playing like hide and go seek, searching around the house. It's blatantly daytime outside, but they're they're pretending it's night. I remember you telling me about this. Was it? The yeah. sem- is it the seventies one that you got? On yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think it might be nineteen eighty. It was released. Oh, okay. I'm, sh- I'm sure it might have been nineteen eighty. It was released. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll be very impressed if it was. Can you check for me? Yeah, uh, but yeah, so that is, I watched it and I was like, oh, this is really bad. And then I'd f- I'd f- sort of like weeks later, I was like, actually, do you know what? Like that is, that was so much fun. It was very, very, very fun, really stupid. All the tropes you'd imagine, like we've been talking about the whole episode, just like Scream was talking about, um, all those kind of tropes. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was caught in the, in the midst of all that slasher genre like but yeah really fun what year was it johnny you're struggling isn't you i really can't find it on imdb and i'm i'm wondering if i'm what did you say it was called it was the the mutilator mutilator yeah or fall break oh fall break is what it's uh, saying 1984 1984 sorry same was, year as james cameron's terminator wow yeah. well Good there year. you go then so um yeah and and that was they're the only two films i could really think off the top of my head like if I, there was films that I was really expecting to love, but didn't like at all. Like, like Inherent Vice, I watched that not long ago. and really couldn't tell you what it was about, to be honest. Paul Thomas Anderson, like, couldn't tell you what it was about at all. Have no idea still. If someone can describe the plot of that film to me and allow me to understand it, I would love it because everyone seems to love it. Is that the um, Ben Affleck one? No, Joaquin Phoenix. Ah, okay. Yeah, it's it's just I was expecting it to be amazing because everyone's like, oh yeah, it's, it's PTA, like it's his, like yeah, it's his ode to the seventies, and I'm like yeah, 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 it's rubbish. Um, but yeah, so anyway, uh, that that they're they're the only two films I can think of. I usually I usually just like something or I don't. So you spoke about Jamie Kennedy earlier, who's the like he's the comic relief, um, the character that works in the video store. He well during his it's I think is it his party. I'm sure it's his party, isn't it? I didn't think it was his party. It's the guy. It's it's um, I've forgotten his name already. The guy who plays Scooby Doo. Guy... Oh right, yeah, Matthew Lillard. <laughs> sorry, sorry. The guy yeah, who plays so Scooby-Doo. Matthew Lillard's he party. Scooby Doo. Yeah. He plays Shaggy. But anyway, it's his party because his parents are away, and you, he said something about his parents are away for a week, and that's why it makes sense that Neve Campbell, Sydney's dad, is at hiding, has been kidnapped at their house. Yeah. Can I just say the nuance? of Neve Campbell's acting throughout this film is unreal. I think that she is, and I know I keep mentioning bad acting in slashes, like it's just the way it is, unfortunately. The reason what, like, one of the reasons why, like, the the best slashes, like, the reason why they're so iconic is because they're the ones where they're, like, they hit gold. So, like, for example, like, Halloween, they found Jamie Lee Curtis, ultimate yeah. screen queen, yeah. um, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, they've they've obviously got Robert England as Re- Freddy Krueger, who is amazing. Um, you've got Johnny Depp in those films as well, who actually Billy from uh, Scream is kind of based off of. The 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 way that the reason why those films become like quite iconic is because sometimes they just hit a really good actor. Like they, they've they've not probably not had to pay much money. Like and maybe at, at that time, Jamie Lee Curtis, like she wasn't big. Like it was one of her first roles, I think. Um, so Neve Campbell throughout this is unreal like the nuance in her facial expressions um 
I, ju- I just think she's this was perfect for her this i just wanted to mention they go over the rules right so they're all at the party all of them are at this party this big party jamie kennedy's writing do you hear that oh my goodness again Those, uh, sirens are back for jamie again because you know in the ghetto um so <laughs> um so yeah jamie kennedy so he he's, he's like suddenly he's like guys to survive a horror film there is a very simple formula and he's like screaming at his friends it's like this guy's nuts he's like rule one you can never have sex so basically he's saying that like as soon as like virgin only virgins survive as soon as you give up your virginity you're a goner and so he's like rule one you can never have sex and everyone's like boo like throwing popcorn at him it's a really funny scene he's like Rule two, never drink or do drugs. And everyone's like, cheers, like, like, although cheers, and it's really, really good. And then he's like, and rule three, never say, I'll be right back, because you won't be. And at this point, Matthew Lillig says, I'll be right back. And what's and funny is, because gets... in, in hindsight, because he's the killer, like, he hasn't got to worry about saying it, which obviously exactly. is something I haven't clocked until you've just said it, but that's really Again, clever. subverts the expectation. But Rose McGowan, um, who we haven't, somehow haven't mentioned yet, who is um, Sydney's best friend. Um, so Rose McGowan plays a character um, called Tatum, right? And so who Tatum probably has, is it, is it okay to say the coolest death? In the, in the whole in the oh, in the film, I, so I, that, she you know goes. What? That that one messed me up more, and it's actually less about the killer in that. It's just the fact she gets, well, she gets. So stuck. you're gonna like this. You're gonna like this, right? Go so Tatum. It. She just, she's at, they're at this party, like everyone's drunk by this point. She, she's like, right, does anyone want a beer? I'm going to go get some beers. She goes and gets some beers, right? So um, Tatum's going out with Matthew Lillard, isn't she? So she's going out with, this is we the kind one of think thing. they are. It this was really, the th- it was a bit. I thought they were, but then when she's then killed at this point, I thought, well, why was she killed? Because if they were together, but then apparently, isn't it because wasn't she used to date him and doesn't still date him is that part of it or had i mis misinterpreted that i'm not i'll be honest i'm not 100 percent sure myself okay. but i don't think it's we, really we, essential we to the plot Let's, to be fair but yeah, yeah we, we don't we, yeah we don't know anyway she goes down to obviously goes down to the the basement or this the cellar or the the garage or whatever it is where the, the fridge is um we've all got a little we've got we've all i'll say we've all got a fridge in our garage some people have um, I haven't got a garage. <laughs> I know. I don't know why I said that. I've got a garage. I don't have a fridge in there, so I don't know what I'm talking about. Actually, like that's hilarious. My uh, Vicky's Vicky's dad has a fridge in his garage. There you go. Anyway, so she's in the garage on her own, and then she like obviously this person turns. She's getting beers. She's got loads of beers. This person turns up in the costume, and she's like, she again, she thinks it's a joke. So she's like, oh, like have you come to kill me? And then. They're not saying anything. They're just nodding or shaking their head. At this point now, like we, like she, there's, she's locked inside the garage and then she's trying to get past. And then she realizes that it is the actual killer and she like drops the beers. And at this point, she's just trying to survive. She does lob a beer at him so hard. It smashes, by the way. And and like, you think about two, two beers. Yeah. yeah, You think about Jenny. Sorry, this is really off topic, but imagine actually throwing a beer bottle at someone hard enough for it to actually like glass yeah there's a, a, so there's a lot of times yeah there's a lot of times in the film where we hear the killer like we know he's human like because we hear he gets hit with a 
the fridge door. He gets um, he gets kicked by Neve Campbell. I was going to say about go, that, and he, he grunts. That, that's the only thing that annoyed me a bit in the film is like how many hits this guy took in each yeah. death, like in each kill. He t- so I guess that is maybe that is the the horror that another slasher trope. So Johnny, yes. as as you don't know, in slashers they tend to be pretty invulnerable. Like you can you can do anything. Like and. They tend to just keep coming back for more. Because my only real exposure, which I know is very limited, of a similar style would be, let's say it is Psycho, and Psycho really, they're not chasing invulnerable. There's not really. I love many how you chases. keep bringing up Psycho because it literally is. It's the, the only one I've seen. One of the yeah, like one it's of the, the only, only one slashes seen. you've seen, isn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. I'm not going to shy away from that. But yeah, yeah. What's what's scary about the secret is though after after she's cracked him with these beers like like the beers going yeah she then before the start of the scene when we hear a noise we hear a cat and it shows a cat flap so she sees in the garage she thinks ah i've i i can when she's trying to run away she thinks i'll go through the cat flap to get away from him that's it yeah and of course if anyone's seen scary movie they know what's coming as well Well, she gets into the cat flap i say cat flap it's quite big it's not like it's probably a dog flap rather than a cat flap because it's quite a large square Anyway, yeah, it's, yeah. She gets well, like halfway through, which is the yeah. worst bit. To like, I want to say her hips, and then the killer's really quiet. We don't hear anything. You think, oh, she's gonna get through. It'll be fine. And then he presses the button on the garage release, so it's like an electric garage, and it's going up and then down. Like, doesn't she up and down it a few times? Is that right? No, or is it no. Just straight I think. I think oh, no, I think she tries to literally... get out through the garage door first, doesn't she? And then it's stuck yeah. down. Then she goes through the 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 hole. Yeah. And then so, yeah, she she literally it's like it reminded me of in Mission Impossible One when the guy's on top of the lift and he can't stop the lift from moving and there's yeah, like yeah, the yeah. daggers in the in the ceiling. Yeah. And, and it's basically that. It's that moment of oh god, she knows that she's about to have her neck broken as she's going up and then too late. So you might like this. So this the death scene this death scene with Tatum, um, it took weeks to shoot. Um they said it was painful for everyone involved. So Obviously, the stunt double as well, like really painful scene um, because there is, she's essentially being suspended by her, like her waist, like on like she's like balancing on this edge um, of the cat flap while she's in midair. But Wes Craven calls it is Hitchcockian scene because of the amount of different shots the tension used as well. Of, yeah, it's, yeah, it's so, a bit of the build of tension. I 100% agree with that. It was. I love yeah. the amount of directors that sort of. I love how often Hitchcock's quoted and how often he's referenced because he is he's the master, isn't he? They called him the master of suspense for a reason. So a lot of... Yeah, of, it's, yeah it's, it's weird because his films could have all sorts of tones. But I said to you, like, Rear Curtain, I think is a really, really bad film. Sorry, not Rear Curtain. Sorry, Torn Curtain. Torn me. Curtain, yeah. Torn Curtain, <laughs> I think, curtain. is a really bad film. <laughs> but there's a really, really, I say good, but a really horrific scene of someone being killed over in real time. Yeah, and they're gassed in an oven, and it's well, like, and and it's well. as they're approached by someone who's trying to stab them, and it's 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 crazy that Hitchcock he, I think that's what he got his kicks from was crafting those sequences and having the audience on the edge of their seat, and the rest of it kind of was just around that you know like when you talk about planning set pieces, I think maybe there was yeah. an element of that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, after this, the Tatum Tatum's dead, obviously. Everyone leaves the party because they find out the principal, the Fonz, has been murdered and hung up by the on the goalposts of the football pitch. 
And so all all of everyone's like, yeah. And again, this is another scene of like how horrendous these kids are being portrayed. Yeah, let's go see it. So like everyone leaves and then the killer's running loose and in this house, basically trying to kill everyone, trying to kill um, the, all, the, all the teenagers, um, Courtney Cox's, um, she's got a cameraman, cameraman like, who, who has a very untimely death. But at this point now, um, Neve Campbell, uh, Sydney, she she bumps in. She's been chased for ages. Eventually, bumps into Billy. Billy closes the front door, locks the door, and then we see him look around with those evil eyes, and we know he's the killer. He's the killer, yeah. And also, it's followed the trope of we actually did know in the first act, which we were warned about by the by the guy from the video store. So, yeah, exactly. In terms of after this i mean what i what I enjoyed about this wasn't it wasn't even just the reveal it was neve campbell's reaction to the reveal which was she takes very affirmative action to get out of that situation and she fights back on her terms very much so yeah but so so at this point like we we should mention that like they've got a weird relationship and finally she gives in and she loses, well, not loses, a, I think, yeah, she, she loses she does, her she virginity too. She loses her virginity too. Yeah, again, she finally trope, gives in. She should, in a horror trope, she should die now. So we're yeah, like, oh, yeah, okay. exactly. And then also, um, she, yeah, she gets, she thinks at this point, obviously he's not the killer and then finds out very shortly afterwards he is. Uh, and when, when she, when they reveal themselves without the mask, it's the fight back that's brutal, isn't it? When she takes both of them on. Yeah. So uh, have you ever heard of the term final girl, Johnny? Yes, because Ripley would be that in a visual alien. Ripley, um, it was a, the original final girl was obviously um, the most famous, Jamie Lee Curtis. Halloween. So yeah. In, in, yeah, in all of these slasher films, there's usually a final girl. Um, and usually they're presented to be damsel in distress most of the time. Obviously, we know that Sydney's not that. Um, another pairing I was thinking of was doing the descent again. Like that was another one of the one of the films I was going to do because again it's, it's like female empowerment. We so Sydney is the final girl, um, as quoted by movie scenes and shit that wrote in earlier. Um, the ultimate final girl. Like I, I, I think Jamie Lee is probably more consistent. Like, but yeah. Anyway, we, we they keep they keep quoting a film called Prom Night, which she was also in. Uh, I've actually not seen that one, so I will. I will look at that at some point. It's been on the list for a while. She fights both the killers. We realise now that they're f- they're trying to frame her dad on the eve of her mother's death, like the the anniversary of her mother's death. Because and of the blame fact it all that on the dad. She's blamed his father, which is, yeah, which makes sense. Yeah. And so this this part now is like this. This is why the film is held in such high regard for me because the killers are at the end. Um, they then start stabbing each other to become victims but not kill themselves but only at this point now like they've got zero moral throughout the whole film and only now do they realize they've got no idea how violence feels throughout the whole film and only now do they realize how the violence feels and because it's happening to them it's the only moral thing about them in the whole film that we now they're, they're feeling what they've been given out the whole film. And so then we see them, they slow down. They're way more sluggish. And this allows Sydney to start sort of outfight, out, well, outsmarting them. Um, there's there's a piece when 
Billy's on top of her and he's about to choke her out. And so this is a really interesting little anecdote for you. Um, she She's hiding in a cupboard at one point and she comes out with the mask on, stabs him with an umbrella. She couldn't really see from the mask where she was stabbing. I and saw actually, this and um, she stabbed like the wrong part of... Well, Skeet, uh, Skeet Ultrich, I think his name is, um, he actually had open heart surgery when he was a, oh a kid, um, had open heart surgery and actually had like a metal, some kind of metal wire in his chest. And so when it's, when he touches it, like it's really, really painful, hit that. So the, oh, the actual, the reaction from him is real. Like the, that reaction of pain when he's been hitting, they, they padded him up loads with like this, whatever it is they do. Um, and they hit him in the actual nerve. So it's a real reaction from his she, open heart surgery. Why did she wear the mask though? Was it to kind of give them a taste of their own medicine? Because I did think like, why I would think you so, do yeah. that? I think so, yeah. I think it's like, to because she's on the phone. She's she's pretending to be them. She, yeah. do, do you know that bit when she's she's when got she's, the voice It's like the, the tables have turned. Yeah, I suppose. I just, I don't know. I think I'd be so concerned about getting out. I wouldn't be thinking about putting on the mask. That's just oh, me. I love that bit. I think that, I think that makes, that's um like, that bit's quite cathartic. Like when she gets when she gets her own back on all of them. Like it's in, I love it. I actually love it. Um, yeah. So the end. Obviously, yeah. We we don't need to talk about the end of the film. That is the end. Like kind of uh, Sydney survives. Obviously, you'll know because there's another three films and a fifth one about to come out um, next year. So yeah, I, I've just got to say, what an ending. Like did did I'm assuming the ending must have blown your mind what the reveal you mean of the two yeah yeah it did as i said to you because i was convinced it was the police officer because they set him up as the fool but it could be the fool who's fooling everyone else you know it's it's one of those but absolutely yeah the reveal the reveal threw me and what what i kind of said was i watched that video about who killed who because i kind of wanted to it's too soon to rewatch the film straight away but just get the idea of who was actually because a lot of the time they were obviously doubling up so it's like the reason that yeah he was distracting when he when Billy comes to her window and he's distracting her is because downstairs the other guy in the screen mask will be taking her dad at that point and it's all these bits that I haven't really thought of which all work retrospectively. So yeah, yeah I really it, genuinely enjoyed it. It was I kind of had an expectation it was going to be quite campy or like bad acting and it wasn't. And as I said to you, it felt like a dark comedy and it felt like. Uh, like Joss Whedon's work such as like Buffy and Angel which treads that line really well between like it still has scary elements to it but it's it's self-aware enough to make you feel more comfortable that was my takeaway yeah yeah and I, I for me I think I feel like it's Wes Craven's got a pretty good back catalogue he he created The Nightmare on Elm Street um, he he created The Hills Have Eyes I get the impression um, again, this revived is, his career though, because it sounds like he had a bit of a downward turn before he, he did. Made yeah. This. yeah, yeah, he did, and he's not. And not every single film he's done has been an absolute hit, but he certainly has a lot of passion for it. Um, so I think that this, for me, this is his masterpiece. Now you mentioned Joss Whedon. Um, now we did a little pairing, didn't we? So I was rack- racking my brain, as I said earlier. I was thinking, Ooh, can it be The Descent? Can it be Funny Games? I know I didn't want to ruin your life too much i didn't want to upset you so in the end well it was really from speaking to my friend kim we decided she gave me the idea of choosing cabin in the woods from 2011 uh written by joss whedon the lambs have passed through the gate 
They are come to the killing floor. Get this party started! I seriously believe something weird is going on. Fast watch for you. So he actually produced it as well. He wanted to direct it, so... It's him and Drew God Drew Goddard finally directed it. Drew Goddard, it? yeah. So they wrote it over a weekend apparently. Uh I can believe that because the plot line is very, <laughs> very similar to something Joss Whedon's done before, and he has a few traits which are kept through. Uh so Joss Whedon has a has a history with horror esque films like Buffy the Vampire Slayer started as a as a film first and it wasn't particularly it successful. Is. Then he had the series, Terrible. which I Adore Buffy the series. I will always talk about it. And Angel, Jamie knows. I love it as well, yeah. Living with me, he heard that theme tune play many, many times. Angel. All the time. So good. It's a banger, isn't it? Anyhow, so yeah, this this film, the basic the basic setup for this film is it makes you think, it plays with tropes. So the opening scene is like an underground we don't know what it is. It looks like a pharmaceutical company or something. And apparently the idea was the directors wanted to throw off the audience to make them think they entered the wrong film. And straight away, it's quite black comedy. It's like almost like an episode of the OC. Like it's that kind of very really typical Weezing writing, isn't it? Yeah, very offhand comments. And it's all quite funny. And I was like, oh, this is weird. And then you find out the basic setup is there is a cabin in the woods and they leave... Um, they lead certain characters there who are our normal tropes. We have the jock guy, we have an educated person, we have two girls, one is blonde and one is brunette. Uh, sorry, no, she's a redhead, sorry. And then we have the stoner. So kind of the tropes of the horror tell us that the blonde will probably be the first to go, um, that the jock yeah. will be the physical guy and all this. But then we find out when they arrive, it's all a big setup. They essentially enter a big dome and when they're in the dome, by the way, the dome looks just like Hunger Games. And Jamie told me not to say that on the pod, but I'm saying it on the pod. And also the control room where they control the cabin in the woods and the dome is just like the control room in Hunger Games as well. But anyway, that's fine. That's fine. We'll just talk about that. Anyway, when they get in the house, I really love the idea of in the house, there's all these ways to control the people. So there's gases. They're like, release the pheromones that will make them do this, which is really dumb, which that's explains it, yeah. why in horror It'll films, make them horny people do make dumb them, things yeah. because it's like, oh... Let's release yeah. the adrenaline thing because then he'll have this response. Let's release this. And it'll do that. So basically, it sounds so stupid. Like you know, you you yeah. you're like describing it like, and it's it just not the way you're describing it, but the stuff you're saying. I'm like, oh, this film sounds awful. But, but it's, it's clever because it's basically saying we learned that all the cabin in the woods is kind of it's a lie. It's like in Lost. It's it's a setup stage because there are Big Brother. It's Big Brother because there are gods underneath the earth of ancient beings and every year we have to give them X amounts of sacrifices to make sure they don't rise again. So Joss Whedon, like over You're the hell You're still mouth. making it sound awful. No, but this this is that that is the plot of the film. <laughs> no, and, and, no, it's the plot. And, it, 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 yeah, it just sounds rubbish. And it? basically, the way that we give the the gods these sacrifices is through the the rubbish scenarios that we see in slasher films it's basically saying yeah. that's what it is so it's it's so meta and so self-aware because it's basically saying not only do we acknowledge that in horror movies things go this way but we're saying that the reason the things go that way isn't because it's a horror movie it's because that it's controlled by big brother to make sure that the gods get their sacrifices every year um, and that's why we paired it and that's why we paired it the meta now 
a few things about this film I need, I need to call out. So Joss Whedon wrote this film and wanted to direct it. I've asked Jamie about this already and he didn't remember and I was very upset but for anyone who's a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in season 4 we meet Riley Buffy's boyfriend who I hated for a long time because I was very annoyed Buffy had a boyfriend that who wasn't a vampire but anyway so he works for a government group that's maintained on the university campus called the Initiative and in the Initiative downstairs it's basically a government agency making sure that the Hellmouth's kept in check. Does this sound similar to to anything? It, it, it sounds exactly similar. Like, and listen, there's even so in the film we see this great sequence where there's all these glass boxes full of all these different creatures from all the horror films. And in the initiative on a TV budget, there's probably about twenty padded cells with all these different beasts in on Buffy TV budget. So for yeah. me, it was basically that idea expanded into a film. And there's okay. a few Buffy and Angel alumni in there of the actors uh, at the start of the film too. There, yeah. I, so I don't remember season four really. I remember season one to three really well. Don't really. The best I don't remember three. The later seasons. The uh, best three. Honestly. Yeah. Like, no. Exactly. See, yeah, of well, season. Uh, quick Buffy chat. Season two and season three are like peak nineties TV. Yeah. It's just Unreal. insane. Like season two is genuinely like season one isn't very good at all, but I just love no, it because it's it really sets low the tone. budget. But season two is genuinely so good. And season three, it I, I loved, I was obsessed. I've we've had this chat. Eliza Dushku as Faith as the Bad Slayer was such a cool idea, like having them juxtapose each other. Amazing, Any, yeah. Anyway what I've noticed with Whedon is he takes a lot of themes he likes. Now you said, or oh, the dialogue being witty and off- offhand and self-aware, something you used Did to I be- say that? Yeah, you were talking about like in, in the Avengers, we've talked about the, it before. Yeah, yeah. So the, so the, the fully, like from what I got from this, like it starts off like a stereotypical horror film. Like we've seen it a hundred times um, and it's like joking around. Like there's loads of, there's by the way, there's loads of references to other horror films. So the street that they they get picked up on at the beginning is exactly like Halloween. All the daft teen jokes are happening. They go to get gas and end up in an abandoned hut, which is, guess what? Just like the hills have eyes. Um, or it happens in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, there's so many, like, nods. nods to, like, loads of different films. And he loves that. Like, pop culture references was very much, back in the day, was Joss Whedon's gig. That, that's what he did. He took pop culture references and turned them on the head. That was kind of... Even the thing. skinny dipping, by the way. They, like, they, they, go, they go, like, they go skinny dipping. Like, it's exactly like um, a film called The Burning, which is another slasher. Um, or, for more obvious, like, if you want to go more mainstream, it's like Friday the 13th, like, Captain Crystal Lake. Like, exactly the same things. Like, it's we're, like, pretty much punched in the face with every single reference you can ever think of saw as well by the way saw is like massive um references there from saw um it's just constant and the writing is good it's very very joss whedon and i'm i think i'm a little bit tired of it now i'm gonna be honest i'll be honest i think as bad as this might sound, I think it worked better in the 90s when it was new and fresh. Was now, oh, I mate. think, oh. because it's not fresh now, I find it hard to be as impressed by it. But also, yeah. I'm not going to lie, and we've talked about on the film about separating art from the artist, but I do also find it hard now with with things that have come out about how difficult Joss Whedon has been to work with and, and oh, yeah, other too. unsavory things. It, it does. I, I always say I try and separate it. I, I truly, I do. But 
I find it difficult. I find it very difficult. And I think I said to you, I was very, very upset because my whole ideal of why I loved Buffy was the way it treated female representation in such a mature, different way. And, and it was strong role models. And it's something I really... A little bit ahead of its time, wasn't it? In that, yeah, in that case, in, yeah. that, in that respect. And I loved it for that. And a lot of people who watch Buffy now don't get that because that's more normalised. But back then it wasn't. Yeah. And no, what wasn't always upset me was when the rumours came out about Joss Whedon was the fact that it kind of tarnished that reputation for me because I thought he was such a... I don't know a torchbearer almost, and, and I, to, yeah, I I had him down as like fully like it was um, idol- what, I'd idolised him, yeah. and I, I was I was really upset. But anyway, that aside, there's a few traits in his films, not just the dialogue, but also he loves people being in glass boxes. So not only is it in the initiative in Buffy in season four, he wrote Alien Resurrection. Jamie, do you oh. remember the plot of Alien Resurrection? Nope. Do you, do you remember know why the- I don't remember the plot of it? Go on. Is it because it's garbage? Oh no, I do know the plot of it. Is is Ripley pregnant? Kind of. She's got. Does Ripley get cloned? She Ripley gets, gets cloned. Yeah. Because she doesn't. She's dead. Yeah. So she gets. They clone her, make a new Ripley. Yep. And she's pregnant with an alien. Queen. I know it. Yes. The queen. But yeah, cool. What's funny is there's a scene exactly like in this film where there's all the glass boxes with all the different aliens in. So mm. he loves that kind of sequence where it's like. Like the it's setting up the premise of the monsters are there, you know they're coming out. It's teasing the fact of here's the danger. At what point in the film do you think they're coming out of there? It's gonna happen. So, yeah. It's setting up the tension. So he yeah. did that in in the initiative in Buffy. So I will stop going on about the initiative. But <laughs> I know you you love They were all set up in that place, and in the season finale, they all escaped, and we all knew it was gonna happen at some point. But it was it set up all season one day. Oh, 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 I can't remember it. Why you ruined it for me? You've ruined Shut season up. four. You're not of Buffy season in four again. Yeah. Well, get over <laughs> it. Uh, and then. It was the first series in widescreen as well. Uh, and then <laughs> I remember sorry, on Sky I, One I love... being like, oh my God, widescreen Buffy. This is insane. But anyway. No, but it's the fact that you literally just like remember. came out with that fact, like so nonchalantly. Like, <laughs> oh, it's the first season in widescreen. Like, I love that how in depth you know Buffy. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, he loves the setup of the glass box. And then it took me to the Avengers where Hulk is put. In the glass cage. Why is he obsessed with glass boxes? I don't know, but I just... Well, maybe or maybe I don't want to know. But anyway, I just... That's four examples from these films of, like, the, here's the cage monster, which you know is going to get out or be a big plot device at some point, yeah. and then they release. And I just thought, wow, I've never noticed that trope before. Um, a few interesting things about the film, because I know we normally don't go so heavy into the plot, and we kind of have for this one, but... Well, we, we've not really said what the plot is. Okay, well, that's fine. Per se. I would just say... Um, I liked this film because I liked the fact it was quite self-aware and it's fun. But this film was made before Liam Hemsworth was big. And he actually shot this before he shot Thor and Avengers. Chris Hemsworth. Sorry, Chris Hemsworth. But the, there was an issue with the release because I believe the studio who originally funded it ran out of money to release it. So Lionsgate then attained the rights and then got them to release it. But Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard thought it might not be a good enough film to release. They'd lost all faith in it. It'd been years. Right. So Chris Hemsworth in that time had got big. So suddenly there was a market for release because Chris Hemsworth's had... He, he is, done Thor. He is, he is Mr. Marvel or whatever, you know. So he would have some bankability that he would not have had before. So they re-released yeah. it. But another, apparently, the reason there was another hold-up was a studio were desperate for this to be in 3D. 3D conversion. 
but it wasn't made on a massive budget. So they were like, well, it's not been shot with 3D in mind. It's not going <laughs> to work. Uh, but you know, do you remember when 3D was like a massive thing? Oh, and it was I, like such it's a when fair. we were at uni, though, wasn't it? Because it was like Prometheus, um, Avatar, Prometheus, Avatar, Avatar was Avatar was the one. And to um, be fair, Avatar visually oh, is stunning. stunning. I must yeah. say, the best 3D is still Avatar because it's because of the way it was shot. The only other thing that Unreal. came close for me was actually Prometheus had really good 3D, but they shot it in 3D. So that's why My Bloody Valentine, the remake, 3D, excellent. Not seen. Um, of course, you no, you wouldn't. Do you know, I can actually do 3D on my projector. What? Yeah, it is actually a 3D projector because it was that was a fad back then as well. I've never <sighs> Mic drop. It. Yeah, but I, no, I, I was thinking of like, what would I actually watch on it in 3D? And Prometheus is probably the only one that I'd yeah, be really bothered about. You love about. Prometheus. I like to be fair. I, I really think that film's Prometheus a really too. visually immersive, immersive yeah. experience, very much like a modern 2001. Very controversial yeah. opinion, but anyway. To finish, Cabin in the Woods, like... Uh, it's a pretty good film. It's only the second time I've ever seen it. Um, I really liked it. Um, it's it's just fun, isn't it? It knows exactly what it is. It, I, I don't want to give it away, but what I enjoyed about it is it sets itself up as one thing and has a massive hard right turn about 50 minutes into the film. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, what definitely. I enjoyed about that was the fact it really did catch me off guard and I went in knowing nothing about it. So I would recommend it. And even better for you guys, it is actually on Netflix right now. So... Uh, yeah, uh, in the UK, sorry, in the UK. It is on Netflix right now in the UK. Right. So, we usually finish off, finish off, finish, we usually finish off, we usually finish off with some listener questions, which is exactly what we're going to do, as we always do. So, the Arab Khaleesi, friend of the show, Minwa, she writes in and she says, uh, I'm sure someone has asked this already, but guess what? No one has asked it, so don't worry about it. You're all good. She says, and I'm really sorry, I've got to do it in the voice again. What's your favourite scary movie? What's your favourite scary movie, Johnny? Well, considering I'm not really into many scary films, I'll give you my limited list. I'd probably say Alien, but that's a big I know, like That's but, obvious you were going to say but that. But what yeah. I was going to say was, and I've said this to you many times, I've seen that film well over 20 times, maybe more, I don't know. But what I'd say is there is a scene where there is a jump scare and no matter how many times I know it's coming it still makes me jump and I think that's for me is an impressive build up of tension uh it's the scene where um Dallas is going through the um uh, what do you call them it's he's like um on his hands and knees crawling through and basically he's got the flamethrower and you know it's coming up behind him and then he can't see it then he turns around and it jumps out at him it's just that one shot which always freaked me out as a kid and it still makes me jump now my heart always goes when i see it the only other film in terms of a horror which genuinely scares me or, or a film that i think i i've watched a few times that i enjoyed and i've talked about it already today is the ring i do find that a scary film but i like the investigative uh, nature of it you've not watched the japanese one have you no part of me really wants to but i also think it might break me so it's one I, of so those... i've not so believe it or not i've not seen the remake um okay the japanese one's great like it's really good i, I think again i think you might like it because it's an investigative kind of thing yeah maybe i think yeah i think as well my dad we watched battle royale together Oh my! I just remember. Yes, we did watch. We've tra- we've chatted about that on the pod before as well. Yeah, Battle Royale. That was really bloody though. For me, that was just it was really, yeah, for was me really for me that was a bit on the torch porn side of 
just for the sake of it so i wasn't scared what about yours right okay so scream's obviously one of them so we'll do, i'm just gonna bypass that straight away i've gushed about it the whole episode right so um a bit more obvious uh child's play 2 so chucky um the i've second... seen that we do you remember yeah. that halloween when you um in the second year of uni and you had it all round. you did natural born killers chucky 2 and another two films we did four in a row what did we? I, why do I not I remember this? This Carl is so sad. Uh, well, everyone, it was all your house. We were all there. Jag, the lot. Yeah. Right. Amazing. Yeah. So, what, what other film? Do you not remember the other films? I remember 100% remember Natural Born Killers and 100% remember Chucky Two. Charles Play Two. Sorry. So, for some yeah. reason, I can't remember that, but that definitely sounds like something I would do. They were all yeah. your DVDs and it was on your PS3. I remember you were super yes. excited. You were like, we're going to go through yes. all of these. But I yeah. want to do it again. I want to. We need Did like so now. Now we're finally over um, lockdown. We're gonna do like a an all nighter, like a horror all nighter or something oh, like God. that. Yeah. Um, and on we'll. The, on you the know, we'll make sure that's I don't know. No. So I don't think you will be because. So to let you in on a little insight, Vicky hates horror films, but recently, which is mad, and I'm actually like loving it. She she realizes that like sort of the eighties kind of slashes and stuff, which I'm going to go into a bit more of, um, because there's another question. She she doesn't get scared by them. It's only the new kind of films that, she, that really terrify, like the Babadook, like that. I kind was going to say that's the stuff probably which puts me off is like, um, which one of those did I see? I I not not after the Omen, sorry, not the Omen, right. um, the Grudge. I didn't mind too much. Yeah, but things uh, after. Yeah, but the stuff yeah. after that is when it got too much for me. When it was yeah. everything's a jump scare, everything's super yeah. dark. Yeah, which is yeah, we grim. Don't want that. And and yeah. like I get to a level where I'm like, I don't want my life to be that grim for two hours. I don't need to deal with that. Yeah. Okay, so so Charles play two because Chucky's just he's a great character. Now this is a mad guilty pleasure for a, like not for me. I'm aware that the film like isn't that like probably, people don't think it's that good. Um, I really love the remake of um, The Hills Have Eyes. I think the remake of The Hills Have Eyes is amazing. It's like a really good survival horror, super gory. You feel like it's a video game also, or almost at times. Is that There's the a guy on... just trying to survive. Is that the one in the desert? Yes. I think we watched that that evening. Yeah, probably. Probably because I'm, <laughs> think, so I'm thinking out loud. It was. This is definitely the kind of thing. We would have done this in 2010, 11, and that would have been out by then, surely. I put The Hills Have Eyes on on Vicky and I's first date. So Vicky and I went out, we had some drinks, and then we went back, and I put Hills Have Eyes on, not knowing that she's not into horror. And I didn't realize there's vile things in that film. And looking back on it, I cringe. I'm like, oh, how is she still with me? Well, I think that every day, mate, but that's a different chat altogether. No, the hills, <laughs> the, no, the hills have oh, eyes. Do you know what? Is 2006. No, I like... 2006. So we definitely would have watched it at uni because you yeah, would have had it yeah. on DVD by then. Yeah, I'm just happy you've given me a burn. Because oh, it's, it's, a it's usually me. It's usually me, like, with the smart quips for you. But so thank you for that. Um, love the fact yeah, so, all these favourite horror films of yours are ones we have actually watched together I'm just very slow remembering this list of stuff that's probably what well, traumatised me though maybe that's maybe Hills Have Eyes is the one that traumatised me yeah and, and I wouldn't so another thing I wouldn't call it a horror but it, but it's like yeah it's got vampires in it and it's Fright Night which I always talk about which is one day going to be um, a podcast I promise it, it will obviously have to be 
uh, Patreon edition or something when we're when when we've got enough listeners to warrant as a Patreon. Did we watch the Paris Hilton Wax one with you, or was that someone else? I watched that with. No, nah, House of Wax. No, it wasn't with me. That was with you. Okay, fine. I thought I'd mastered the, all the films there, but no, that must have been another no. time. Okay, well, we'll make, I reckon maybe the fourth film might have been something like Demolition Man, because um, that's that's a film that I like to show because it's so much no, fun. No, we watched that together on when we thought the 42-inch TV was massive, and you were like, wait till you see Demolition Man. <laughs> this is when like, we thought you're, the like, f- you're like, this, you, th- you, like, you wait till you see this film, it's amazing. And you're like, there's this really great scene where they talk about a toilet, and it makes no sense. You know, the like three the, seashells. Yeah. yeah. And I remember being like, what is he on about? Any last words? Yeah. Teddy bear. Oh, so good. Right. Um, so, a <laughs> uh, friend of the show and close personal friend of mine and yours, Johnny, CJ.Reens with a Z writes in and he says, in fact, go check his Instagram out because he's an incredible artist. He says, hey man, two questions for the pod. First of all, I'm buzzing that you're delving into horror. So am I. Um, question one, which horror movie villain terrifies you the most and why? Let's go into that first. Again, John, is this what horror f- villain terrifies you the most? Well, I've got to stick with what I've already said, which is I was terrified of Samara from The Ring. Okay, cool. Because she... What scares me about that is, like, uh, it was the hair of over the eyes. Yeah. Because, you know, uh... it's just, like, the imagery of someone coming out the shower and having long black hair and it just it it's all down in front yeah that really freaked me out and also it's kind of exorcist vibes the way she got out the well it was like a contortionist doing it wasn't it and it was yeah yeah anyway right so um i'm gonna go with so i'm gonna go with an obvious one and and again this is so this is when i was a child remember remember my irresponsible uh mother we would go down to Anne's video library and we'd rent, she'd rent horror films every single weekend. Um, so the films that scared me when I was a kid, Pumpkinhead, very scary. I just remember a person's lips being sewn shut. Really, really scary. And I remember actually crawling behind the couch to hide because of Freddy Krueger, um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Absolutely terrifying I've watched one of those with you, but it was one of the more recent ones. The guy who can invade the dreams. Yes. There was there was <laughs> yeah. a there's a more modern one. Like I'm saying, I just love modern. your I love your purity, by the way, because In, if, if there's sorry. horror fans listening to the episode, just the just how pure you are, like, and I love it. You're like the man who can invade dreams. Like to mo- to horror for any horror fans that are listening, they'll be like Freddy Krueger. Um, <laughs> but no, it's I, I just love the fact that like it's a genre that you're so just not it's not your thing. With... It's not your bag at all. No, yeah. I love it. It's 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 like when I'm trying to remember names of uh, Overwatch. So characters. I think maybe it would have been it would have been the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, which again I really like, but everyone hates. So we we did watch that together. That was a again at that mm. house. Um, so I have seen that. So do you know what? Actually, okay. I say I've not seen loads. Maybe that's what put me off, though. Maybe you showed me really like, scary stuff at you. No, I just went and stopped my bag. I don't. Maybe I don't think I was. I think I was really um, back at you. Back at uni, like obviously just really insensitive to how you feel about them. So <laughs> I would just show you anything. That sounds. That sounds more like it. Bang. It but does. Then, yeah. Bang out. But of then that. Amityville Horror, when we watched that, didn't really scare me. I just didn't. I just. I. I just didn't think it was great. Anyway, the film is. The film was obviously really panned. Like. I really liked it at the time. In hindsight, I don't really like it. Like it's it's not very good. Catch him, Callum. Remember, you used to 
yeah. Do you remember I, that? I, don't I, you? I do remember that. I just remember the bit with. Um, yeah, I just I think I think uh, t- no offense to Ryan Reynolds, I like plenty of other things he's done, but for that it just didn't hit and hit the mark for me. Just didn't enjoy it. But anyway, okay, right. So the I'm gonna the last um, from from Carl, like the last thing that really terrified me, and this is definitely the most terrified I've ever been. My nan had a VHS of a film. I think in England, this film was called Ghost House Two. Okay. Now, this is hilarious. The film in America is called Witchery. And I think in it's either a Spanish or an Italian film. And it, in Spanish or Italian, it's called La Casa 4, right? Now, try and digest that if you can. Um, David Hasselhoff's in it. <laughs> like, that's, Linda... That's excellent. Yeah, okay. Linda Blair's in it, right? And there is... It, it is... from I was a kid when I seen it. There was a lot of black magic going on, so there was a there's a, there's basically a scene when there's a they've got this voodoo doll. They're stuck in this like house, basically. It's a ghost house, yeah. I'm sure that's what it was called in the UK. And this woman, this this woman in a black robe, is stabbing this doll in the neck, and this man's just like clutching his neck in a different scene, and there's blood all coming. Now I can't tell you. I used I was I reckon I had nightmares for a good six months, like ter- terrified about this. I uh, haven't seen it since. If you find on um, YouTube, there is... I'm sure Vinegar Syndrome released it in the US. Find the trailer. It looks terrifying. Um, I, I, I reckon I'd still be scared today. And that, single-handedly, is the most scary villain I've ever had. There's, that, that's that's all I've got to say. I was going to say, there's one in X-Files. And do you remember the family who... Uh, the inbred family who live under the floorboards? You ever seen that episode? It's like voted mm. if when it's horror season, people always release a list of like the most scary X Files episodes to watch. Okay, and it's like number one every time because it's just harrowing. It's really, right. really. It's it's more eerie and creepy rather than. Do you know what I mean? It's not so much yeah, jump yeah, scary. Yeah. It's just. Do you know what? When it is Halloween, which is a while away, but when we get to November, hopefully restrictions permitting, we should get a few. Oh, that's TV, I suppose. But I, I've been intrigued to show you a few of those. Like, well, maybe we can do an X Files episode. episode but, well, maybe episodes, we'll get into but, yeah. TV then, eh? Oh no, don't. That's a whole new. World. We need, to, we need to nail the films first. Yeah. Well, right. Okay. So we've got a couple of questions left from um, Kim's friend of the show. She writes in and she says, "What is your favourite overlooked slash unknown slasher?" I think this might be a question for Jamie. God, I do feel a little bit like bad. It's all do you feel the peer me, pressure? Me, me, me. Huh? Are you feeling pressured? No, no, I'm not feeling pressured. I just feel bad because I'm, uh, I'm the one that's banging on and it's boring for you. Hey, I'm and learning. Everyone else, I'm learning. Right. So, um, overlooked slashes, unknown slashes. So, Alice, sweet Alice, not necessarily unknown. It all depends, like who who's watching. Because to people that love horror, they'll know Alice, sweet Alice. To your average average viewer, like I don't think many people will know that film, but it, it's it's brilliant. It's a a kid killer movie, like as in like a child is going around uh, killing. Uh, fantastic. That was nineteen seventy six, uh, not long after Black Christmas. It's really good, like really fun. So then I would say another one which I have gone on about on the show. Um, Adam Wingard directed it. You're next, uh, which is a home invasion film. 
um, which is, yeah, and maybe not necessarily a slasher, but it's still really overlooked, I think. Lately, I've been loving um, Italian slashers. So, and John, I think I'm going to recommend and I'm going to give to you a couple of Blu-rays to borrow. I, I mentioned it the other week, Tenebra. Brilliant story, um, Italian slasher, Dario Argento. I wouldn't, again, not necessarily overlooked, but I don't, I just don't think many people would look to Italian cinema like really do you know does that yeah. make sense yeah it's, pre- it's, it's a just, pretty niche it, field to look into to be fair yeah yeah so people that are really into it would be like oh tenebra like it's a, it's a massive film like but to most people like if i if i was to say to most people that like slashes but aren't as hardcore i'll be like yeah look look to italy you'll find loads of really good slashes in there um pieces as well that i mentioned the other week is brilliant that's a spanish slasher right so then the a few a few good ones summer of 84 which i absolutely love maniac cop which is brilliant it's that's very cheesy and i'll mention it lastly because it's severely overlooked and um, william friedkin's uh cruising with al pacino so it was before al pacino was really that big um it's it really explores the um i think the bondage scene um and it's basically a a killer posing um in like gay clubs um and killing killing gay men like that that is a slasher uh, and it's fantastic really really good you can find it on arrow video so go and find the blu-ray of that um yeah it's it's really good Al- great Al Pacino performance as well so there you good favorite there you good there you go favorite <laughs> overlooked unknown slashers um right I believe it's the last question of the show. Um, I thought I'd save it till last because it's Patch who writes in pretty much every single time we do a pod, which he I does. love, and um, because he's got in, like amazing questions. So a little bit, maybe like a little bit, kind of what Stan for film said. Back in the day, horror and slasher films were often regarded as B movies or even banned as video nasties. When and why do you think these became more accepted as mainstream cinema? Now, Johnny, I'm I'm actually. Uh, intrigued to see what you're going to say about this because I know you studied film and stuff so you must have a little bit of insight I think if you look at the amount of censorship there was previously and how much it changed over the years I think that has an effect then on how people viewed these films in a different light and also from the aspects you've said the films found good actors who then went on to do different things so if they if they found a talent then they could market it on that and also, I think audiences wanted different things. Like originally, you went to the cinema just to see a big screen, and then yeah, then it was course, yeah. you know then then it was like uh, when they were worried about the rise of TV, they were like, well, we'll do an even wider wide screen on an even bigger you know, and then yeah. suddenly with slashes and stuff, you couldn't do that stuff on TV. So maybe no, a not. part of that was the fact of hey, you know, you're never in the daytime going to be able to show anything like this on TV. It's counter, you know, it's, well, I'm sure they're not counterintuitive, but it's it's like it's not going to fly past ratings. But then people pushed it, like Hitchcock pushed it with Psycho. And the reason we always keep drawing back to this is because that was such a brutal scene. We talked before about how the rules were so ridiculous and you couldn't even show a toilet. And Hitchcock shocked them so much with the Stour Shub sequence that they didn't even notice the toilet <laughs> flushing. Well, uh, Frenzy but, as well that we, we mentioned really yeah, early Frenzy, on. Like, Frenzy uh, was like pretty brutal as well, wasn't was it? like 10 years on from them pretty much. I'd then... love to see what Hitchcock would achieve now. Like I'd love to see with the shackles off what he would have done. It's Yeah, I, I always wonder though, like if they saw a modern blockbuster, would they just think, what the hell is this? Or do you know what I mean? Like what they 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, so yeah, I think audience so numerous factors i think ratings change because it was films had to do things tv didn't to still stay relevant and to still draw an audience so that they wanted to shock people the other thing is after the uh 60s and 70s i think views became far more liberal about what you could and couldn't show so it yeah, all it fed is, yeah. into that as well and then also I think in general, the news probably got worse in like people always say after the Vietnam War, it's the first televised war where everything was shown day to day and people kind of grew accustomed to seeing these bloody horrific images. And then there's almost kind of a cathartic experience in horror films that we've touched on earlier today um, where it's seeing violence in a controlled, safe environment. So I think there's numerous strange factors which have all come together. But then torture porn and that stuff was from it going so far the other way where now you can basically show anything in a film like do you remember the one where the, all the people are, are um sewn together what's that called uh human centipede that's the one that's yeah and, um know. i've seen it yeah um and it's it, but it's garbage though so the <laughs> it's, it's weird isn't it like so patch says these films were regarded as b-movies and banned as video nasties. So I actually have a video nasties box set and um, DVDs, which had like the evil dead last house on the left. Where's Craven his first feature film. Um, nightmares in a damaged brain, uh, driller killer. I spit on your grave. I spit on your graves. Like a quite a famous one as well. Like well, a few of those are quite famous. Um, and I'm missing a couple, but, um, those, those films, like obviously back then, um, and it's the same. You you can mention like censorship was probably brought back to stuff like uh, Pink Flamingos. Do you know that film? No. So Pink Flamingos. The reason why it was there was a set, the film was banned was because there was a straight cut of um, a dog doing a poo, the lead character picking up the poo and eating it. A straight cut, like there isn't. So they did it. So they 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 pretty much did it, right? So that that then caused the film to be banned. I mean. Is it banworthy? It's disgusting. I don't know. I just, I, I think that obviously, as you said, censorships change massively. But censorship Tolerance. also changes because you've got to think that the audience who grew up with those films that pushed it each time then become the people in power and it becomes accepted. So that is forever That's changing. a really, really good way of looking at it. Also, at the same time, like censorships changed as well in terms of like the things. So for now, there's, there's stuff being taken off TV. Like, so old little britain episodes because they're like really racist and like xenophobic so there's there's certain episodes that have been taken away so i think these things go in like cycles uh, what as a, a film watcher i don't know i think we should be allowed to watch whatever we want um as long as it's not real so like again i'll i'll, I'll touch on another film like cannibal holocaust um which is a film where um, act, actual animals being killed on screen like it's real i don't agree with it like I, I fully don't agree with that because it's again it's real but the video nasty stuff like i guess yeah like there was the 70s that kind of sort of kicked it all off um and then stuff started being unbanned i don't really i don't really know why they were unbanned but um yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have an answer to why they were on banks. I don't know that much into it. I just know that there were certain parts of film that were banned for some, some periods of time. The other interesting point about asking why it became B-movie to being accepted was I just think the quality increased. 
because back in the day the horror films were cheaply made like the roger corman movies you mentioned yourself they were very cheap budget films didn't always have the best production value in acting and they've kind of got their whole niche now of people who love that style but it's like a lot of those films in the 50s that age really badly those science fiction horrors etc so i think basically as the eras went th- as the eras went through there was more money to throw at it to make it look more like real life and then eventually at a point they would have done that hit on a good actor and it all kind of comes together it's it's so many films and i guess it's are- money isn't it yeah like money money is a good production, thing to mention production like, values it- is what i'm trying to say but what i'm trying to say is sometimes it's just a happy accident like i mean i honestly think star wars is a bit of a happy accident because like if he if george lucas wasn't married to uh his wife at the time who was an editor and she hadn't saved that film it could have been a complete disaster if john williams hadn't scored star wars would star wars be as iconic but mm. that's a massive question but it's my point with these horror films is would halloween be successful without jamie lee curtis uh, <laughs> Do you see what I mean? so what i'm saying is i think sometimes there's a moment in time where everything just comes together yeah, like the stars align. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's a rarity. But So with the ones that aren't seen as B-movies, it would be a situation where the stars have aligned. It's all worked. Like for Psycho, you could say it's the fact that the, the portrayal of Norman, um, the, uh, the sorry, the um, Norman Bates, the portrayal of the, uh, the fact they got Bernard Herrmann to write that iconic music for the stabbing. It's all those things. It's all those elements yeah, that have to silence, come together. Silence of the Lambs with and... Jodie Foster and... Andy Hopkins, who's just won the Oscar. Andy Hopkins, yep. yeah, the, yeah. No, you, you, uh, you're right. And I, I, do you know what? I'm sitting on this podcast across from you, and I'm even, even I love, love your insight there. Like I, I wasn't expecting that. So yeah, I think you're ab- absolutely 110 percent right. Have we really answered Patch's question? Is it really answerable? I don't know. I just, I just know that obviously money is that there is obviously a market for it. And if there's money to be made, people will push for it. It's like the and... first Saw film was made for like a really tiny budget. And then because it made so much money back, they pumped so much into the sequels. And like, there's even another one coming out now, Spiral, which is another continuation. I've got a ticket for it. Oh, oh I've okay. booked, I've booked, I've got three tickets booked for the cinema, by the way. I won't be rushing to the cinema to see Spiral, but there we go. Um, well, I, of course you won't. No, I've got uh, Godzilla vs. Kong booked. I'll be up for that. That's that's more like yeah. it. Um, so yeah, no, uh, I think that in 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 life we tolerate more in general, and if it makes money, we tolerate. People, someone out there will tolerate even more. It's all about money. So if it makes money, then that's it. And John's thumbing me again for the the second time in two pods. Like I'm just, uh, what do I do? Right for, for a change. We've actually prepared what next week's film is, so you can all watch along. Yes. So, so go on, John. The next film is going to be Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park. They. <laughs> I thought you were going to put a little clip in, but instead, that's that's why it's even better. That was the clip. Um, yeah, we're doing Jurassic Park. Um, I think we've even got the parent film ready. We are we have. We're so organised and we're even recording this a week early because work's busy. So, yeah, um, before the next episode, go and watch Jurassic Park. Um, to let you in on a little secret, I'm not really that bothered about it. <laughs> like I never have been. I don't know why. Do you know, before we go, because it actually relates to one of the previous questions, someone said about what's the scariest film. When I was a kid, I might have already told this story on the pod, so apologies if I have. I said to my dad, 
what's the scariest horror film you've ever seen? Because he had loads of videos upstairs. And I was like, oh. And he went, oh, Jurassic Park. Because he probably clocked that I was yeah, going to try and watch it. Yeah. So then he like came back and I'd watched Jurassic Park and I was too young to watch it and I was traumatised by it. <laughs> so I was like really so upset funny. by it. But then it's weird. It's sometimes those films that initially scare you, you then go on to really love and like really get into. And then I loved Jurassic Park as a kid. But more on that next week. Sorry. In two weeks. Two even. weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, right. So how about you go away, you think about some questions about Jurassic Park and you write in to moviesinapodshow at gmail.com. Just write in, tell us. We read our emails. Uh, I mean, we don't get loads, but we, we're going to start getting loads because you're all going to write into it. Or you can hit me up at Movies in a Nutshell. I know how confusing that is. At Movies in a Nutshell at Instagram. Um, or you can hit Johnny up at... At jcb.video. And that's it for this week. Thanks so much, as always. Had some amazing correspondence. Uh, we love you all. See you next time. <laughs>